Welcome to Splainin', the podcast where two guys explain things to each other that they should know, but they don't. They do not. I'm Evan Smith. And I am Jeff Sims. Welcome, Evan, to season three, episode two. Uh oh. <coughs> God bless you. <coughs> God bless you. God bless you. Always a third one. Every time. Good things come in thirds. Also, couldn't be better timing, really. Honestly. Because I am trivially excited to be here. <laughs> <laughs> it could have been worse timing to be like, oh, welcome to. You're bad. not wrong. And also, or what I thought was going to happen, actually, as it was about to happen, I was like, oh, it's going to be one of those that just lingers there, oh. and you feel it, and it won't come. And you come. have that energy of, like, you're just going, you, like, look up the whole time. I thought it was going to be horrible. Well, I'm glad it wasn't. I mean, now I just feel a little bit congested. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I don't know you, if you guys can hear that. You're experiencing COVID symptoms. You should yes. call 811. Yes. Well, I had a student at Munn this week. Oh. Who just, no, I mean, not has COVID, but yes. had a a symptom and came in and was talking to me and Shelly because I'm a Shelly student. Yeah. And uh, they were like, yeah, so I have a sore throat. So like, I'm not, I don't think I should sing a master class today. And I was like, well, yeah, okay. And I was like, sorry, yeah. hang on. Ding, I don't ding, think ding, you ding, should ding, ding, ding. be here. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, I don't think you're allowed to be in the university right now. Yeah. You need so, to be in your bed yeah, with anyway, water. And it was clarified today. Yes. Um, another of the profs sent me a message being like, on the Munsafe app, there is a uh, uh, questionnaire you're, you're meant to do every single day. You're supposed yep. to look at it every day and confirm it before you come in. So if you have one of those symptoms, you do not go. Yep. It's a health dec- declaration. Yep. Oh my God, it's going to be a long episode. <laughs> oh, buddy. Breaking a new set of teeth for a friend. Oh, yeah. How was your weekend, Jeff? I didn't really see you this weekend. No, no, we didn't. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, which I don't think there should be anybody at this point, I'm getting married. I'm getting married in 28 days. Who's counting? I mean. I'm not. Yeah, 28 days. <laughs> four weeks from today. No. No, four weeks from yesterday. 27. 27, 27. days. Yes, there were 27 days. Yeah. Um, so yesterday, uh, I went to the venue and uh, met with them and started picking out, or started like organizing the room, setting up the tables and the chairs and trying yep. to see like what that looks like. And it was really strange because like the movie in my mind Right. was picturing something different, and I was always trying to like make it work. I feel like that is a struggle for you, Jeff Sims, in most aspects of your life. You've uh, you've got a movie running in your mind, or like not even running. You've thought about a scenario, uh-huh. and and when you think of scenarios, a movie runs in your mind. Yeah, yeah. And then you go do the scenario, and it's not exactly like the movie was. And you're like, oh, hmm. I'm, I'm worthless. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm mildly disappointed in all aspects. Yeah. Um, but it was just trying to like recreate that and try to go through it. And like I had a couple of friends there to like help us move tables and stuff. So like trying Not to me. like no no because no. I wouldn't ask you to lift a table if your life depended on it. Well, this is the thing. I mean, when you're the best man, I, mean, I can't like what am I going to do? Like injure myself before the wedding? Yeah, I need to be on it. You do. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm in my resting phase. And also, you, I was going to say you're already you're already half written off anyways, or wrote off. In what way? What's your back? No, back's good now. But is it is it better? I mean, the lower back has healed significantly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the upper back and the heart are butt injured but my butt's not injured mm-hmm. but it's fine good <laughs> how was your weekend uh it was good i had a show i had two shows nope that was thursday friday mm. um and then yesterday was tiffany's father's my father-in-law yep. paul it was his 60th birthday it was 60 i didn't know it was 60 it was i didn't big know one. it was a big one no. and the first like one of the first family gatherings i was ever at when tiffany started dating yep. was paul's 50th birthday they had a big bash at the house and wow. i was like the new boyfriend who was there right 
And Nat was like his 60th and like, I'm married to his daughter. We got two, two kids. kids. He got two grandkids. And like, all of his family is now my family and have been for years. What and a like, great like. It was a cool full circle thing. Yeah. yeah. You, did you have a picture from 10 years ago and then like you tried to recreate a 10 year? Like, no, we did not do that. That would have been but, a great. The movie in my mind. That's what I would have. Yeah. But the, um, the fun thing was for the whole evening was his niece gave him a list. She does this for every one of her relatives for their birthdays. She gives them a list of the top song on the day you were born oh, and then yeah. every year from there on. So oh. the top 60 songs on September 19th over the last 60 years. I feel like that would get boring real fast. It did not. So what we did was I put it in an Apple Music playlist. Like I just Oof. took 20 minutes. Y'all right, are you? Yeah, my foot cramped. Oh, <laughs> I put <laughs> Who's 60 in this situation? <laughs> so I put it in an Apple Music playlist and put it on shuffle. And then we had the sheet there and like, there was oh, like a, that is so cool. It was great. And there was a group of us, because I was like, shuffle or not shuffle? I was like, well, if you don't shuffle, it'll be like all of the 2005 onward at the end, which will be awkward because like we were the youngest people there. And like nobody cares. Yeah, 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 yeah. And even we didn't care about that music for really much. Yeah. And then what we did was we'd play Guess the Year This Came Out. And it was really fun. That is excellent. It was cool. But like amidst, among, amidst, amidst, amongst, amongst. Uh, both are words. At, 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 the party at, the rest of the sentence is <laughs> blank the party atmosphere amidst the party atmosphere amongst the party atmosphere within the party there was an atmosphere within the party atmosphere uh, it was like that was going on and it wasn't consuming the night but it was like a it fun party that was going yeah, on yeah, yeah, every yeah, time yeah. the song would change we go oh new song new song new song oh that's very exciting yeah, that's a really fun. nice touch actually and it was like and, and the fun part was that everybody was going especially those like the older people yeah. were going like they had lived from you know, 60, 70 the majority, days onward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they could go, okay, no, this must be 78. Yeah. Because this came out when, when I was in grade 11 I, yeah, and exactly. I danced with Mary exactly. Beth. And yeah, 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 yeah. It was it was fun. It was a cool concept. Oh, that is really I cool. It. I like that. Yeah. That's fun. The other fun thing I did this weekend was while doing my research, I don't know if you got this as well, but Wikipedia has amped up their donations game. Oh, yeah. They, well, we talked about this last season. Well, they it's, beg of us for money. Oh, it's it got tenfold worse. Yeah. So I went on. And it was like all of these different things, and it was just like, we know you're gonna, move, we know you're gonna skip by this. <laughs> they we, just try we to know, get you. We know you've seen this yeah. many times. Uh-huh. We're asking for just simply a dollar twenty-five. Yeah. Do you think you could share a dollar twenty-five to keep Wikipedia going? That is, I don't know what it was but like that website sure. that's keep, kept you going, yeah. Evan, and your podcast. Like it felt very personal. Oh yeah. So I was, was like, like do you this. have a dollar fifty to save this dog? And you're like, oh, that's so sweet. I do. It's like then you have a dollar to save us. <laughs> yeah. It was great. It was so good. And then the so I was like, you know what? <laughs> I was like, I do depend on Wikipedia. Yes. So I will donate to. I just two fifty. So uh-huh. like, I will donate two fifty. And then when you click. You will donate. Then what comes up? They go, well, if you're going to do- donate two fifty, well, not, I've got you here. Why not donate one twenty five a month? And I was like, yeah, I could do one twenty five a month, Evan. And then all of a sudden, I'm donating one twenty five a month to Wikipedia. Are but you, you know what? Doing that? Yeah, but I felt great about it because of the way they worded it. I was like, I'm helping society. Me, okay, me no. <laughs> and also, it's what one twenty five times twelve is uh-huh. like sixteen dollars, uh, seventeen dollars. Sure, okay. So, $17 a year, I'm helping Wikipedia, which I use every week. True. So, we had a conversation about this, like, a couple of weeks ago. How, like, well, my heart has changed, Jeff. <laughs> um, where you are the perfect person for, like, oh. salespeople. <laughs> yeah. And you were like, no, I'm not. I'm like, dude, you could, I could literally sell you anything. And you're like, 
Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Because it's value. You see value in that dollar fifty or dollar twenty five, whatever it well, is. Well, also you can appeal being the Slytherin that I am. Yeah. You can appeal to my like and being like the I don't know how to say this and not sound even more Slytherin-y. But being like the quality Slytherin that I am. Like oh, in terms okay, of like good. Yeah, you're I right. Do, that I is do very have, Slytherin. Like fairly I'm fairly ethical and moral human. For, sure. for a Slytherin. So you can appeal to that because being a Slytherin, I want other people to know that I'm ethical. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. There's, no, it, like, there's an element of like the uh, Gryffindor yeah. Slytherin back and forth yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So appealing to that, you can be like, yeah, okay, I'll donate. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I think I've just delved into some of my character. Like, it's the same thing if, like, someone's like, will you donate a couple dollars to the, whatever. I'm like, yeah, of course I can spare a couple dollars. But at the same time, I'm like, well, I don't want anybody. So do you re- remember, like, how it was phrased? Like, um, like the Wikipedia thing? Yeah. I'm sure we could go on there now and read it. Okay. There was like well, literally seven bubbles. So say that, but look this way, and instead of Wikipedia, <laughs> say explain it. Yeah. Do you have a dollar twenty-five? Do you have a dollar twenty-five a month? No, that's but it, it was smarter than that. Okay. So much smarter than that. I'll do some research. You'll do some research. Yeah. Before you know it, you'll be giving us a dollar <laughs> fifty a month. We do take key transfer. Info.splan at gmail.com. Yeah. Yep. Peter Andrew, if you could email transfer us a dollar fifty a month. Leah. Thank you. <laughs> we also take cash in an envelope in our yep. mailbox. You can mail it. Mail yeah, loose mail change it. in the in the, the mail. Stamps cost more than the actual donation. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's weak. We can keep the stamps, take them off and reuse them. Yeah. <laughs> that's where we're too on our trying to economize this podcast. Yeah. Yeah, I think that works. Yeah, true. Um oh. You're comfy now. Just stretched my legs out, and it was a great choice. Oh, I'm proud of you, buddy. Oh yeah. Um, speaking of, uh, you know, economizing our. Oh no, you have a thought. Go ahead. That's something Tiffany would never do. What? <laughs> In the middle of a sentence, if I'm about to interrupt her in gas, she'd be like, oh, "I'm just." I'm well, t- she's had ten years of you interrupting her. You've had almost ten years of me interrupting you. Yeah, but not like. But you ever? You don't get as day. upset. You'll remember what you were going to say, right? Not always. Oh well, now I'm sad. That's the Gryffindor. I would rather just be like, what Evan has to say is probably more important than what I have to say. Well, it's not once I say it. (laughs) But what's important is that what I want – this is why I always interrupt people, okay? It's because what I want to say is in reference to what you've just said. So now you've moved on and now what I have to say is no longer relevant because you're going to move on. I can't come back. But that's half of the point of a conversation is it's your job then to circle back to make it just as relevant. But if we've moved on, then you have to accept that we've moved on. And I cannot. And that's, that, probably that's like the flaw. Jousting. That's the flaw in in me. Yeah, in, like it's yeah. badminton. Like yeah. if I decide to spike it and we're no longer rallying, you can't go back to rallying. You have to spike it. I mean, yeah, but I feel like it almost it almost touched the ground when I saved it by going, <gasps> anyway, what I was going to say was, yeah. how <laughs> much? <laughs> then we can't circle back to what you actually want to say. We how, have to move on. I, no, I'm going to. Okay, fine. For some reason, when I stretched my legs, I was like, oh, this is comfortable. It brought me oh, back to— Oh, that's how far you went back, to stretching your legs? Yeah. Oh, okay. Go on. Um, and what I was thinking was, oh, God, remember on your bachelor party once I got in the hot tub? I was like, what if we recorded the podcast in a hot tub? <sighs> my God, that would be good. We couldn't have video. Why? Well, because YouTube would go viral. Like, the video would be— YouTube. YouTube. <laughs> YouTube, me too. We all stream through YouTube. YouTube. What's his name? <laughs> um, buddy from Bono. Bono go wild if he's seen two of you in hot tub. YouTube be wild. YouTube be wild. The Edge. My God, he couldn't handle it. <laughs> St. John's Edge. St. John's Hedge. Um, well, we wouldn't be able to do a video because people would obviously donate a doll. Actually, you know what? That's exactly it. That's how we're going to get your money. We're going to tease you with a video of us in a hot tub. Yuck. 
I don't want to do it anymore. Only fans. You've ruined, <laughs> <laughs> you've ruined it for me. Yeah. Uh, now, what were you going to say? Um, well, I was going to say, in the interest of economizing... If, is that a word? I'm going to say yes. Okay. In the interest of economizing our podcast... Yes. Uh, it is important to us that it is our podcast is easy to find for new viewers. So when you finish this podcast, go rate and review to get us to the top of the charts. Please do. Please do. Evan. Shall I dive? Please do. And I will. Okay, my legs are coming back up. The comfort level is going down, but the information and energy level is going up. I'm here for it. Okay, great. So I'm going to preface this topic with a glimpse into the life of Evan. <laughs> Sometimes I just have an idea for a topic. Yes. And I open up the pages on my phone. Yep. And go into the splain, and we have a shared document. Mm -hmm. And I go in there, and I just write in what I'm thinking. Sure. This topic came to Evan while under substances, if that's the right way to say that. Inebriation. Yes. The inebriation station. Achoo-choo. Achoo-choo, all aboard. <laughs> and this is the description exactly as I wrote it at that time <laughs> in the document. <laughs> I remember this. Topic. How does smell work? Why are certain things stronger than others? How does the smell travel through the air? And why is it our nose and not mouth that smells it? Why can't we just smell through any opening in our head? That's what I wrote. Exactly that. Oh. And I bet I was typing like a banshee. Like oh, I, bet I bet I got there in going. 10 seconds. Oh, that's oh, so with that. Funny. Let us deep dive headfirst into a pool of shame. <laughs> Ol the hot tub of shame. The hot tub of shame. <laughs> Olfaction is the special sense through which smells or odors are perceived. I don't like that they needed to just to um just to have a Wow. This is going to be a long night, See, buddy. So you commented on your verbiage being obsolete mm. or ineffective, mm. and now mine. See, now I'm just trying to get good words up there to get I the brain moving. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the why did they have to the differentiate, is what I was looking for, between smells and odors? Um, like, when I think odor, I think a bad smell. Like, is that the definition of odor? Yeah, I think so. I think odor is a bad smell. So, like, to differentiate... Odor! <laughs> <laughs> odor! 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 Uh, okay, sidebar. While writing this, I kept writing the word odor as doors, <laughs> which made sentences like that first sentence great, because it was like, olfraction is the special sense through which smells and doors are perceived. <laughs> it's like, if you lose that <laughs> sense, you can't, can't perceive doors. You're like, why can't I leave this room? How do I you get, can't get out? It. Or like, every door to you is like, well, like, you know, when people walk into screen, like glass yeah. doors, even wooden doors, you can't perceive them. You just walk into them all day long. <laughs> But somehow it's see-through, yeah. so you see the room, you just right. walk into yeah. it. Yeah, uh, but then it happened so many times, I was like, man, I'm a really good typer. Like, I'm probably like 60, 70 words a minute. I can't be, like, mistyping odors every time. And then I realized it was autocorrect. Yeah. Because I was typing... O-D-O-R, not O-D-O-U-R. Because it was an American article that I was reading, and yeah. I kept writing O-D-O-R, and then Pages was like, no, no. But Wikipedia was like, or Pages was like, we want you to stay with your native Canadian English. Mm. So like it's O-D-O-U-R. O-D-O-U. Eh? O-D-O-U. O-D-O-U. So smell begins at the back of the nose where millions of sensory neurons lie in a strip of tissue called the olfactory epithelium. Epithelium. Say it together, everybody. Epithelium. epithelium. 
And then it comes across the bottom of the screen. It's like, oprithlium. <laughs> Word of the day. Uh, the tips of these cells contain proteins called receptors that bind odor molecules. When I read sentences like that in general, I'm just like, <laughs> like I do not perceive those things. And I've come to realize that I am the living embodiment of why analogies exist. Yeah. Because if you say something to me straight up, I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. But convolute it by comparing it to something else. I'm like, yeah. oh. But that's how the associative mind should have worked when you were younger. So like your mind bridges concepts with other things that you recognize so that you don't need a new analogy every right. time. So what are you saying? That you're stupid. <laughs> well, what else is new? Yeah. But like if you say like... Like that last sentence, you should understand like receptors, perceiving, like all these things you should have. I know what the word receptor means, but like I just like my brain is just like zones out. But like if I get like something that I can grasp, like if you're like, um, okay, black holes are like, you know, when you go to Costco and buy a party box of chips and you consume them all in a night. <laughs> Sort of like that. I'm like, Life oh. can't escape. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. That's what black holes are like. You Got are it. the black hole. <laughs> exactly. And the chips are light and matter. Yeah. And when they're getting too close to the level of thing, they just disappear. The light escapes. No one knows where they no went. No one knows where they went. All that's left is just <laughs> the dark matter that escaped. And the energy, which is the bags. The is empty bags. Wormhole? The empty bags are like the heat energy that escapes. Anyway. So... <laughs> <laughs> Evan Smith, the chip black hole. So, so in not understanding the first sentence about smell, there's a common analogy for how smell works, uh -huh. which appealed to me. And it is 10 out of 10. Receptors are like locks. And the keys to open these locks are the odor molecules that float past. People have about 450 types of olfactory receptors. Each receptor can be activated by many different odor molecules, and each odor molecule can activate several different types of receptors. But the forces that bind receptors and odor molecules can vary greatly in strength, so that some interactions are better fits than others. Think of a lock that can mm. be opened with ten different keys. Two of the keys are a perfect fit to open the door easily. Mm -hmm. The other eight don't fit quite as well. You gotta do a little, you gotta do a little, little jiggle. Jimmy. You gotta do a little dance, make a little love, mm -hmm. get the door open. open tonight, get the odor open tonight. Mm. Um, or so explains Leslie Vosshall, a scientist who studies olfaction at Rockefeller University, and queen of the analogy. Great. Because I just uh, thought it was great. Also, it's like I, I, I mean, I, I, wow. I think everybody knew it was olfactory. Okay. I didn't know like the appropriate tense is olfaction. Yeah. I didn't know that. I kept writing down and saying olfraction. Because <laughs> it just sounds more like a sciencey term. Back in my day, <laughs> we used to do long and old fractions. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> it's just like, I don't know, fraction, like olfraction, like feels like more of like a, an action. Like, Isn't a, like, faction like something to do with, oh. it's not light. You were going to say light, weren't you? No. Oh. Like factions of war. I don't know the answers to any of your questions <laughs> at any time. <laughs> Unless I have them written down here about this specific topic. Well, Mr. Smith, keep going. Okay, well, I will. Uh, so it's the reaction between these complex receptors and odor molecules that allow us as humans to detect a wide variety of smells. I love the word smells. The more I say it, the more I'm like, that's a weird and satisfying word. Smell. You know you haven't been able to get through a single sentence without commenting on the sentence? 
It's just, that's where I'm at right now. <laughs> you have one page of research, and you're just <laughs> flushing it out with commenting on every sentence. You can shut up. Yeah. <laughs> what you, Jeff Sims, think of as a single smell. Smell. I don't know why. Right now, I just, I'm really satisfied with the word smell. Anyway, what you think of as a single smell is actually a combination of many odor molecules acting on a bunch of different receptors, creating an incredibly intricate neural code that you then identify as sweet chili heat Doritos. Ooh. <laughs> or whatever. But like, whatever. I feel like that's a common it's scent in your heat. life. Also, circling back to comment on that last sentence. As we you, should. You use the word odor to describe a smell. Yeah, I think they are. Um, are they interchangeable? I think they're interchangeable. Okay, well. Yeah. So how does it all work, Jeff? Well... The process begins with certain molecules from the outside world entering our body. Either willingly, where we actively or purposely smell something, take a whiff, you know? Or unwillingly, they're just coming in regardless through your mouth. Because you can plug your nose. But you know what they say. There is a no in nose. There's no no in mouth. I made up that quote. I did think it's the actually, best quote I've ever come you, up with. Did you actually make that up? I, yeah. I think it should be on my tombstone. I think that's that, great. There's a no in nose. There's no no in mouth. <laughs> right? Please <laughs> please ensure that that is on my tombstone. Oh, I will. I mean, I'm going to die before you, but it'll be in but. my will. That... <laughs> You'll pay for the tombstone in advance. Exactly. Yeah. It's going to be part of my life insurance policy. Mm. My grandchildren will have the deed to go do it. Right. Yeah. Nice. The deed. Um, indeed. So, of course, the nose and mouth are connected. The molecules attacking those receptors that line the nose. I don't know why I said attacking. I mean, they're not attacking. They're just, like, touching them. But whatever. Um, that line the nose can still get to where they need to go through your big old open gob. Right? <laughs> they're still going to get there. Still going to get there. So, now I have a picture for you that I would like you to ex- – I want to show you it, uh-huh. but they can't see it. So, yep. I would like you to explain what you see, like what it kind of looks like. I don't – I mean, I don't have an idea. Just like, can you just explain what this is to our listeners? Uh, yeah. So, what we have here, um, there's a picture on the uh, – I, I, on the. ignore this one. Just this. What does that look like? Okay. So, so that's – yeah, so that's somebody's face, but it, it has like like it's almost like an X-rayed vision of it. So you can see the tissue and the the skeletal features of it. So you can see the nasal passage going up behind the eye socket in the brain, yep. and you can see the soft palate how it connects the oh, you're nasal really sign- pharynx to the pharynx. Oh, you're getting too. So I was like, okay, there's like weird glowing green orbs of energy floating in, up your nose. Oh yeah, there's sorry, like a sorry. weird like yellow comb attached to your brain that's like trying to like brush down the weird green orbs. Yeah, so if, if I were to be the, the pitcher... There's some tapioca pudding amongst yeah. the forehead. <laughs> Gross. Tapioca pudding. Um, but yeah, no, it just shows the pathway of particles that would go up and back like that. Yeah. To your olfactory bulb. You're an olfactory bulb. Oh, yeah, see, I said fractory again. <laughs> it's, um, just, it's just this old dimming light in this factory that's abandoned. <laughs> an old factory bulb. <laughs> They they created they were a bulb factory yeah and now they're all discontinued. I switched that bulb back in 1968. It's still lit. We used to power them with napalm back then. <laughs> uh, and here's what makes olfaction really unique among the senses: the receptor cells are themselves neurons. Okay. Mm-hmm. So each olfactory receptor cell has filaments called cilia with receptors designed to bind to specific molecules. Like all neurons, the cell also projects a thicker fiber called an axon. The axons come together in an olfactory nerve and go directly to the brain. 
the olfactory nerve is essentially like that old 50s like walkie-talkie like two cans and a string <laughs> like literally one can is in the external world like you can like access it through your mouth or nose yeah, yeah. the your other mouth is, is the can yeah the, and the other can is touching your brain like the things that are coming that are touching inside your nose are like a string and the other side is touching your brain <laughs> that to me was like wait no no wait what what are you talking about i don't even understand <laughs> You're living your best life. I just you? like we we talked about a very similar process for the optic nerve and how we visually see things. Yeah, I know, but that didn't shock me as much. Like the but fact that your ex- eyes are touching your brain. I'm like, yeah, okay. But sure. it's just like nervous system and, and yeah. Uh, well, whatever, Jeff. Okay. Whenever a detectable molecular odorant <laughs> attaches to an olfactory receptor, it generates a tiny electrical impulse. Okay. Yeah. These currents then enter the complex network of the brain and then very quickly, sometimes within a tenth of a second, recognize the odor. <gasps> Isn't that fascinating? That's wild. Tenth of a second. A synap- two synapses. Synapses. This, is, this, is something synapse. this smell information goes to the periform cortex located just behind the olfactory bulb. <laughs> where it identifies smell. The olfactory bulb also connects directly to the limbic system, the brain area that regulates emotion. Mm -hmm. The smell information goes to the thalamus, which serves as a sort of lobby for all sensory information coming into the brain, just like, you know, hanging out, waiting for the elevator or the walking escalator. (laughs) Waiting for the brain stuff. Ooh, I smell the fart. (laughs) (laughs) What is that smell information? (laughs) I got some smell information for you. Uh, so the it takes from the thalamus, the it goes to the orbitofrontal cortex, where it is integrated to taste information, which, while technically is a whole other sense, requires some diving into, Jeff. Mmm, a taste of fart. <laughs> <laughs> so taste, or the gustatory system, Ooh. responds to molecules dissolved in liquid, hence saliva. These molecules then enter the system through the taste buds. Taste buds are also receptor cells. There are millions of receptors on about 10,000 taste buds. Most are bumps called papillae. I want it to be papillae because it's like two L's, like you know the French sort of? It's papilla. Is it papilla? (laughs) Probably. Um, Papilla. Bring me another drink. Jacques Lepetieu. (laughs) Jacques Lepetus. A little wooden boy. Most are bumps called Papillus. Papillus. But they cover the surface of the tongue. You know, like the ones that you can see and you're like, want to brush them with your teeth and you kind of start to gag a little bit. You're like, I don't know. How do I clean these? I don't know how to satisfy what Um, I want right now. But some line the roof of your mouth and the back of your throat. Hmm. Each taste receptor responds to five different types of taste. Jeff, can you name them? Bitter, sour, sweet, hot, cold? (laughs) Hot is not a taste. No. Uh, Spicy? No. Bitter. What did you say so far? So sweet, so, sweet, sour, yeah, salty, yeah, um, bitter, bitter, yep. and tart. No, oh, there, pig. There's like a weird one that a like weird doesn't one. really belong. It's called umami. Umami. <laughs> umami. Umami. Uh, but it otherwise can be referred to as savory. I need another word because savory also isn't a descriptive enough. Like I would never eat something and be like, hmm. The other word savory. is umami. <laughs> I've got Jeff. Wait, wait. You need another word for savory? I've got one. It's umami. <laughs> You're like, oh, thanks for your help. Uh, okay. But like, if if someone was like, hey, like, uh, if you're at a bar and you're like, hey, can I try this new beer? Like, can you describe it? Like, what does it taste like? Is it like hoppy IPA? It's like, 
Uh, it's more of like a umami. Well, to be honest, if anyone described a beer to me as sweet, salty, sour, bitter, or umami, I'd be like, I don't want any I've of I've had a beer with all four of those. Salty is the uh, brackish, land wash brackish. It is a salty sour. Then you have a sweet and sour beer, which is the Kitty Vitty uh, Sofa Sour Sauce. Sweet and sour sauce. Yeah. Um, what was the other one? Bitter. So tart, tart and bitter are like the right. same, are they not? So a lot of sours Maybe. are also like very tart as well. Um, the one I'm drinking now is a tart uh, beer from um, Bannerman Brewery. It's <laughs> getting those promos in there. Uh, and what was the other one? Umami. <laughs> <laughs> and that's course light. No, you, Bobby. <laughs> so a molecule binds to the receptors. The electrical charge of the receptor changes triggering the tr- nope triggering the release of a neurotransmitter this sends an electrical impulse to a nearby neuron which brings the signal to the brain back when we went to elementary school jeff we were told that the receptors for each taste were limited to one section of the tongue do you remember this yeah i was chatting with tiff about this today and she's uh-huh. like yeah i remember coloring the worksheet yeah, yeah, yeah none of that is true no it's all lies. Yeah. Apparently, the tongue is just like even dispersed. Yeah. We yeah. what we used to color on the thing was the tip of the tongue was sweet, mm. the sides were salt and sour, and the, and the middle, back was bitter. Yeah, but the middle of the tongue was sweet as well. I don't know. So I used to drink. Anyway, um, none of it's true. No, but I remember when I was uh, someone was like teaching me how to drink like nice rum. Right. And they told me to curl your tongue to create like a U. Right. And let the rum sit in the middle of your tongue. But then what would happen is if you let it sit for like, I don't know, three seconds, like not long enough to it be burns. like, is it good now? Yeah. But then like you swallow it afterwards, it gets rid of that burn. So right. that like sting of taking a shot right. goes away and you taste all like the sweet and like the right. wood. But that's not because it's in the middle of your tongue though. No, but is that's because what I was told. Oh yeah, yeah. But it's probably something to do with like, you Well, that let person it... didn't get past primary school. No, so. clearly. Well, I didn't know the difference until now. Um, a single taste bud can contain receptors for several tastes. There is no organization of taste receptors on your tongue. Do you know if, like, like the way a lot of, like, receptors and neurons and, like, neurotransmitters and stuff, they often have negative reciprocals. So, like, one means one and the opposite is the other. So, like, it can switch back. Oops. It could, sorry. It could switch back and forth. So, like. <laughs> sorry, excuse me. Excuse me. Sorry. <laughs> pardon me. Excuse me. Yep. Oh, sorry. Going through the dominion. <laughs> through the chip aisle. Excuse me. Yep. Sorry. I'll, I'm just going to squeeze by there. No, right they there. see me coming. Everybody just leaves. <laughs> no. Yeah. There's no chips left. No. Um, so, like, for instance, like, the opposite of sweet is sour. Like, just as an example. Okay. So, like, with a neurotransmitter be, like you said, like, one receptor could have many different senses. Would it have, like, sweet and sour? And depending on the sensory input, it would be like, ooh, this is sweet. Ooh, this well, is sour. No. What a single taste bud can contain receptors for several tastes. Mm. But the ones that but, would take, would they be negative reciprocals is what I'm But asking. I think the receptor itself, each individual receptor is only, will only do one of them. Sure. Right? The, the, that individual receptor won't flip-flop. Cool. But a taste bud has 10,000 receptors on it or yeah. whatever. Yeah, right? but they're all wearing shoes. They're not wearing flip-flops. Right. Thank you. Yeah. Some, you are, some are wearing Crocs. You can do a little bit of a hybrid. Yeah. Uh, so these taste signals go from the mouth via cranial nerves to the uh, medulla oblongata in the brainstem, then up to the thalamus and on to the cortex where the sensation mm. becomes a perception, mm. which I like. Mm. You then become aware of what you taste and can respond appropriately by either swallowing the food or spitting it out if you think it's like poison or gross or whatever. Taste and see. Taste and see. The goodness of the That's the name. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, that's the name of the anthem we did a couple weeks ago in church. 
Uh, so now here's why this is relevant. What we often refer to as taste is actually a multi-sensory phenomenon. Your sense of taste, i.e. your tongue, gives basic information about sweet, sour, bitter, etc. But umami. Umami, thank you. <laughs> the etc. You cannot yeah. leave out etc. Uh, For about, our entire yeah. lives, people have <laughs> left it out and put in etc. And that's why we don't that's the know problem. Try to save space. <laughs> anything, anything that doesn't fall into those four, we've just been like, you know, etc. 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 has been umami. Yeah. Umami? Umami. Yeah. <laughs> your mommy. Your mommy. Um, but most of the food experience depends on your sense of smell. The majority. When we chew food or drink a beverage, chemicals are vaporized into air passages that connect to the mouth and the back of the nose, stimulating the olfactory receptors and allowing us to perceive the subtleties of flavor. Mm. Not your taste buds. I mean, your taste buds are doing a little bit, but your smell is doing so much more. This is why when you have a head cold, you lose some of your sense of taste. Yeah. Or you got the Kovic. Yeah. Nothing is wrong with your tongue or your taste buds. The receptors are covered in mucus and are therefore receiving weaker signals or sometimes no signals at all. So the smell information is not making it along its path to the orbitofrontal cortex. Can I ask you a really silly question? Yeah. So you just made a very good point that they're covered in mucus or they're blocked. The passageways are blocked. Yeah. So hypothetically, if that is like, you know, anatomically correct, like they are blocked by mucus or whatever. They're harder to access for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't you then just taste and smell mu- mucus? Maybe mucus doesn't have a smell. <laughs> Explain it. Thoughts? <laughs> Guys. Anyways, as you were. For those listening, not watching, Jeff did a very slow, um, what do you call that? Suggestible pan. head turn. A pan to the camera. Mm. Um, Panra. Similarly, there's the whole aspect of how scent is so linked to emotions and memories. How you can like walk past someone down an aisle at Walmart and be like, that's the same perfume my girlfriend wore in grade nine. Angela! Um, and then you get a nervous like feeling in your stomach and all of a sudden you're yeah. like, I still don't know how to unclip a bra. <laughs> Catherine. Um, so... Uh, the reason this happens with the whole memory thing is because the thalamus, the information lobby, sends smell information to the hippocampus, throwback to episode one, season one, mm-hmm. and the amygdala, the key, excuse me, the key brain regions involved for learning and memory. Yep. Because many aspects of smell are so neural, there's still much to find out about these processes and a lot of ideas floating around that are just theories. For example, until very recently, it was thought that the human nose could identify about 10,000 different smells. Dr. Valshall and her colleagues at Rockefeller have since proven that people can identify way more scents than 10,000. Their study started with 128 different odor molecules, and they made random mixtures of 10, 20, and 30 odor molecules so that the molecules, I know, so that the smell produced was unrecognizable to participants. They then put mixtures in three vials, two mixtures were identical, one was different, and they asked people to pick out the smell that didn't belong. It's the science version of two truths and a lie, basically. But that's that's wild to me only because, like, I feel like me, I don't have a good sense of smell. Okay. I feel like I just really, really don't. Like, sure. if you were like, Jeff, what are you, What is your weakest sense? Right. I'd be like, I don't have one. Okay. No, but, I would, but then I would admittedly say <laughs> my, my sixth sense. Yeah. Um, I, like, I can't fathom the idea of someone being like, try to identify these two different smells. Like, like that are, that are, like, very similar. Oh, Okay, well, okay. Well, I'll tell you the results now. Oh, please do. So they did these over and over, okay? Asking people, making the differences between the two mixtures harder and harder to perceive each time. Mm-hmm. 
Once they calculated how many mixtures the majority of people could tell apart, they were able to predict how people would do if presented with every possible mixture from the 128 different odor molecules, just based on statistics. Sure. From this data, they estimated the average person can detect at least, guess, 525,600 senses. One trillion. What? One trillion different smells. No. Yes, Jeff. There are not a trillion different smells. Yes, there are. Dr. Vosshall thinks that this number, one trillion, is probably an underestimation of the true number of smells we can detect because there are way more than 128 different types of odor molecules. So a, a trillion is just if you use 128 molecules in every possible way. You know it what I mean? comes to a trillion. You use one and two, one yeah, and three, yeah, one and four, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, can, it comes up to around a trillion. There's way more than 128. So, yeah, that's wild. That is absolutely wild. wild to me. So, like, just as a small tangent, like, yeah. so as a human, I'm going, that is crazy. I can't fathom a trillion different sense. And Benny's up there going, keep up, Dad. That's what I was going to say. So, yeah. do you mean you talk about the dogs, or do I say this to Catherine? Like, who let them out? Or Yes, who let them out. Okay, yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Thanks. Um, so. Oh, I, wait. I, or, or the ones who went to heaven. Oh, no. Because <laughs> all well, of them better do. Better to go to heaven than all not. All of them do. Oh, yeah. All of them do. All Except for the shit ones. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta go. In the arms of an angel. Sarah McLaughlin? Thine angel. Thine angel. Go on. Anyways, my God. Can't say nothing around here. Um, I mean, Malcolm, you can't if you say it. Yeah. <sighs> We're waiting here. We're on the edge of our pew. Malcolm Gladwell did a podcast. Did he? Yeah. Okay. An episode of Revisionist History where he talked about... Um, dogs and their ability to detect scent and how we're i don't think i've heard this one it's very new it's this oh, okay. season and how we're underutilizing them as a resource in the medical industry right so there was tests done on on these dogs that they can smell and detect cancers right before we can detect them yeah and they say that uh humans so like if you were to like every sort of scientific evidence that we have that we claim as science yeah it is scientific evidence based on visual confirmation confirmation right but we have other sense yeah right and that's the thing is that we don't we don't we say oh that's no, if you don't can't see it, you can't believe it like you know what i mean like that kind of saying seeing is believing saving is believing believing is seeing except for santa claus yep except for santa claus but that humans that is our best sense is the, the sense of sight and that our vision is way better than almost any you know animal out there and that's why we've been able to you sure. know, evolve have we've been able to evolve that we can see all sorts of different spectrums of light and differentiate colors and blah 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 blah. Sure. Whereas dogs are the opposite; they're good with smell but not sight. Right. Right. So, um, so there's this cancer thing. They also said if that they if they had used dogs for this COVID nineteen pandemic, mm -hmm. they could have cut down the costs of like eighty dollars per COVID test, which was the early cost, yeah. to a dollar twenty five per test. And wow. we could have almost virtually stopped this pandemic yeah. because we were able to do rapid testing. So like kids at school, what they would do is they'd walk through like a gymnasium yeah. and the docs would be there just smelling them. Yeah. And if they smell the virus yeah. before the kid got sick, yeah. Kid they would, quarantines. the kid would go in quarantine. Yeah. Wild. And they from there they would go quarantine, take an actual test yeah. that then we would be like, okay, cool. Yeah. But like dogs, what they would do is they would like the way they were testing, improving it, it was for like pancreatic cancer and for um um what was the other one? Another type of cancer? 
Yeah, I mean, I guess it's not really relevant, but it's yeah. a different type of cancer. Sure. And they would get the patients to simply pee in a cup. Mm. And the dog could smell in the pee. it through the urine. Wow. But, and so the discussion that Malcolm had was like, well, what does the, the, a tumor smell like? Because that was the discussion is like, right. you know, how does a dog know that that is what a tumor smells like? But the reality right. is they're not smelling a tumor. What they're smelling is how the body is responding to the tumor. Right. So there's certain enzymes or certain ways right. that it's producing hormones and proteins to either fight it off or it's how it's affecting the body. Right. And that's just coming out through their sweat and piss and like how the person <laughs> just smells. How they're shit and piss and <laughs> urine. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You just really degraded the sentence with the way you ended it, but sure. Anyways, all I'm saying is that nose wild by. <laughs> the nose is wild. I'll tell you more about it, shall I? On a primal level, the sense of smell plays a vital role in finding food and determining whether or not it is fit to eat. Mm. Similarly, pheromones, which could potentially be its own topic, yeah. I think, um, are airborne chemicals emitted by individuals that elicit a philosophical physiological not philosophical no. physiological response in other members of the same species mm-hmm. didn't really i don't know why i want to know why it's only the same species there's something cool to that guaranteed this whole process i, I don't think it's as like intricate as you think it is like you know that analogy made of like some keys just unlock certain doors yes i think it's just the same principle it's right. like why would they want a gorilla trying to mate with a cow i guess it's so. like biology does not want that no not mate but like okay so well, like, that's what pheromones are for is to attract one to no another. i'm gonna tell you what they're for it's not just for that jeff okay sorry who's doing the research Go this on. whole process happens via the olfactory system. In other species, pheromones emitted by one subject can send messages of alarm or aggression to others. So that would be helpful uh, interspecially. Interspatially. Inter- Intergalactically. Thank you. Uh, they also play a large role in sexual attraction and reproduction of certain species. Did you know that, Jeff? I didn't. Oh, okay, cool. Well, great. Thanks, for, right, thanks right. for telling me, buddy. Cool. Thanks for letting me do my, do my own research. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, like many things, your back, your knees, your neck, your zest for life, your smell of sense declines over time. <laughs> <laughs> that was more specific to you, Jeff, than anyone else. Yes, not your back. Um, because your taste and smell receptors are in direct contact with the environment, they become blunted over time. Ugh. They weathered. Yeah. Seasoned. Seasoned. Spent. Taxed. (laughs) Smell particularly declines, making food less appealing and sometimes going as far as to contribute to poor nutrition in the elderly. That hurts my soul so much. Like the things that we love now, like we're not going to love Mary Brown in 25 years. All Newfoundlanders over 60 putting salt on their jigs dinner before they eat it. Yeah. It's because they won't taste it otherwise. (laughs) They'll be like, what is this? If they close their eyes, like, what's this? What's this fucking Unami? Unami. You not me. I can't taste. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, there are a few common smell disorders that are kind of interesting as well. There's hyposmia, which is a reduced ability to detect odors. Mm-hmm. It's like kind of, you know, not that exciting. No. Uh, anosmia. Anosmia. <laughs> <laughs> Is the complete inability to detect odors. In rare cases, someone may be born without a sense of smell, a condition called congenital anosmia. So does that also affect their taste of uh, their sense of taste? Yeah, absolutely. Does. Uh, if, I, if I had like one like debilitating sense, like I had to like yeah. lose a sense, it would 100% be my, my sense of taste. 100%. No a lot of, asked. I saw this in an article that I was reading about this. A lot of younger people, when um, asked, they say their sense of smell. And then, like, there's a whole thing about, like, that's a really stupid answer, and here's why. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you why soon. 
Um, well, I've told you some reasons why already. Yeah. Um, there's parosmia is a change in the normal perception of odors, uh, such as when the smell of, uh, of something seems distorted or when something that normally smells pleasant now smells foul. Which uh, apparently is a big symptom of COVID-19. Yes, it is. Uh, or then there's also phantosmia is a sensation of an odor that isn't there. The phantos of the opera. <laughs> is there. Yeah. Inside Actually, your nose. But it's not. That's no. the point. It isn't there. It isn't there. Uh, decline in olfaction may also be a sign of neurological disorders. It's quite often an early symptom of Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. Mm. That connection to the hippocampus and amygdala is beginning to break down, and therefore your sense of smell goes first. <whistles> yep. So that's a jest. So which means it's time for... Zwei Wahrheiten und eine Lüge. It's true and false time. Nope. No. Nope. Truth and lie time. Zwei Wahrheiten und eine Lüge. Two, Two truths and, and lie. What made you do German? I don't know. All right, go on. <laughs> no bye. idea. I was thinking about I need to do a jingle for Two Truths and a Lie. And then all of a sudden, I, was, I just was thinking like maybe it's like kind of rocky or something. I was like, maybe it's like German metal. Yeah. Zwei Wahrheiten und eine Lüge. Yeah. yeah. Okay, maybe. We'll see. Uh, question one. There are two questions. There are uh -huh. two series. Uh, number one. Or A, I guess. I don't know. How do you want me to do it? Don't hurt yourself. Question one, A, B, C. Sure. How about yeah, that? Just, just don't hurt yourself. Okay. I'm trying not to hurt you right now. That's what I'm doing. Okay. A. As a means to identify asymptomatic carriers of COVID-19, a Canadian professor currently working at Yale encourages people to sniff their peanut butter jar every morning. <laughs> B. 0.5% of our total DNA is devoted to olfaction. C. Your sense of smell is about 1 million times more effective than your eyes and ears. Or your, well, well, your sight the, and hearing. Read the last one. Your sense of smell is about 1 million times more effective than your eyes and ears. Or sense of sight and hearing. Mm -hmm. Those are the three. Peanut butter jar. 0.5% of your mm -hmm. DNA mm -hmm. and then a million times more effective than eyes and ears. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Talk it through. Talk it through. Talk it through. Okay. So you can, you can rule them out one by one if you'd like, or you can go down. So each, I see a fault in each one of them. So I don't know if they're just nicely put or if, if well, I'm just being too analytical. True. I'm just being too critical of them. Like, Asymptomatic would mean you do not have symptoms. Correct. One of the symptoms being loss of smell. So that's yes, kind of like you're a not aware of a symptom. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, then you're so symptomatic. You, no, you're asymptomatic because you're not aware you have a symptom. That's not how that works. Well, I mean, it is and it isn't. Like, I know what you're saying. The symptom is that you're losing your sense of smell. Yes. But for all intents and purposes, you are asymptomatic because you're going through your daily life without a symptom. You're not aware that you have. Yeah, the symptom. I guess like I guess it would be the same thing as like if you fart and you don't smell your own fart, you go, "Jesus, do I got COVID?" <laughs> okay, but but like, but, but you, I know you, what you're you saying. See, you see my technically, issue. it's not until after they can go. Well, actually, that is a symptom, yeah. but you don't know you have a symptom. So yeah, for I mean, like in principle, that one makes the most sense, right? But you could also just be an asshole, and he could be like. Go smell a bowl of cinnamon toast crunch, not a peanut butter bowl. Do you know what I mean? Like, are you being okay. a jerk? No. Okay. The next one, um, 0 0.05 or 0 0.5 of your DNA? I'm sorry, 0 0.5. 0 0.5. Yeah. Um, it of seems like a of small, our total DNA. Yeah. It seems like a small amount, uh, but I do think that your sense of smell is not hereditary. So it doesn't seem like it's something that's like embedded in your DNA that like, 
oh, you can smell fish better than I can. Like, I don't think that's like a hereditary thing. Like, the Smiths got a good sense of smell. They right. follow their nose wherever they that's go. That's not like, what I thought. When I read DNA. DNA. Do you know what I mean? Does, that's not necessarily what DNA means, though. No, is it? but like, is that not like there's a portion of your, your DNA strand that dictates how good your smell is? Do you know what I mean? Right. Because DNA is just the encoding of what you become. Right. So, like, obviously, there's going to have to be a portion of your DNA that's dictated for your sense of smell yeah, and how yeah, well yeah. you can smell. Right. But whether or not that's 0. 0.5 or yeah. 100. Or another number. Yeah. Well, it's not 100, obviously. No, no, but do you know what I mean? <laughs> You're literally just <laughs> You're like just a, a floating sense of smell. <laughs> oh, how philosophical. Um, and the last one. Um, your sense of smell is a million times more effective than your eyes and your ears. Effective. Like what is what is what do they mean by effective? What do you mean? Like stop reading into them so hard. All right, fine. Because based on the statement that I just said, that humans their sense of sight is what we rely on. Right. I'm gonna say C is the lie. Oh, I was like, what is he saying? I wrote them down as one, two, three, and then changed it when we did ABC. So you think three is the lie? That's wrong. Yeah, great. Um, One was true. Peanut butter. Yeah, Professor yeah. Dana Small states, a person's sense of smell can slip away quietly over a period of time without the person noticing it is going. Sure. So it's one of those, That's I guess that's why it's asymptomatic. Yeah, because I guess you walk around your whole life or your whole day being like you don't smell anything, but you only recognize you smell something when you smell something. Yeah, and also yeah. like it fades very, or very um, slowly. Yeah. So like you're not, if you lose a little bit here and there, you don't really notice until all of a sudden it's gone. True. Uh, she says, also, I think of peanut butter, like is peanut butter that prominent in its smell? Apparently. She says doing this this home sniff test would allow people to start tracking their sense of smell. And if they notice it diminishing, they should begin quarantining and get a COVID test. Wow. Yep. Interesting. Um, the B is obviously false. B is false. So it's point. It's, it's 5%. Okay. 5% of your DNA, which is I thought was a lot. Well, if we have five senses. No, I know. But there's more than just your senses, senses in your DNA. True. Um, and then three was true. Your eyes can discriminate, discriminate? Yeah, I guess discriminate or discern between several million colors. Your ears can hear about half a million tones. Oh, your nose can, okay, can pro- yes, a trillion, a trillion yeah. different sense. I guess so. That's what I mean. That's why I was like, what does effective mean? Because we don't, like, our hearing and sight are way more imperative to our survival than our sense of smell. Well, yes, but also this professor who was saying this shit was like, people take their sense of smell for granted. They like, definitely do. It's And humans have a way better sense of smell than because until very recently, they were like, oh, yeah, you can smell 10,000 smells. Yeah. Like, no, no, no. Human sense of smell are arguably one of the senses they should be really, like, taking care of. <laughs> but, like, here's another, but, like, there are a trillion different types of smells, like, like, we, like the combination of 125 different variations. Right. But, like, in what context is that relevant for life like being able to smell like 17 different types of curry well, chicken it's just or how, 18, well, like, it's not, I mean, like I mean, what does yes, that mean like but like the point is how effective we are at smelling we are very very good at it yes but so that's, like that's what the point was yeah but like biologically how does that like like i guess maybe we haven't tapped into it we only just found out that we it's more than ten thousand. maybe there's like more shit maybe we can be doing this fucking dog shit but i don't think so because we can't like, if I smell your piss, I can't feel yeah, like you got COVID. You've never smelled anybody's piss before. I smelled my own piss. Okay. Well, that's not enough. Okay, come on, then. <laughs> uh, okay, question two. Ready? What do you think we're doing during our break? You're, bat- you're, bat- you're batting a thousand. Uh, a, not unlike the relationship between smell and taste, 
Tests on rodents have determined a relationship between smell and sight, giving rise to a perception called smite. Mm -hmm. B. The scent of female tears dampens male sexual desire. <laughs> Three, or B, or C, you can smell fear and disgust. I like all of these. I think they're all great. Oh, he's so quiet. He's really thinking, everybody. He's really... So, Cogs are turning. He's also rotted because he thinks he got gypped by the wordage in the last one, although he did not. The effective. That's that was literally my question. It's like, what do they mean by effective? If we're talking about a trillion over ten thousand, yeah, obviously it's more effective, but like, it's not useful. That's like being like, you know. Well, what do your eyes do? They see colors. Do you know what I mean? They perceive colors. Yeah, but better so, than any other species. So it is the, our great. most effective use. It's our effective sense. Compared to other species. Yeah. But it's not our most effective sense of our senses. But like, is it the quantity over quality of... But like, the, like it's the not quality, quality either. No, no, no. It's definitely quali quality. Well, Absolutely. It, yeah, but so like it makes a quality because like if I see danger, yeah, like I'm not gonna smell danger. I will see danger before I smell danger. So the quality of that sense is better. Like I will never smell a tiger. I will see a tiger. A tiger can that's, smell me. Though before that's it sees that's me. untrue. Yes, because it what is. If, no, what if you're in a situation where you do smell a tiger? Like, you're there, downwind. How have you ever been? Well, there are situations where you could smell something first and go. Mm, I don't. I don't think I should be or whatever. You know what I mean? Yes. Okay. That, that you don't see very seldom, like a fire. Well, you could smell smoke, but you would often see smoke before you'd smell it. That is totally conjecture. There's no way to know how often you'd see it over before you'd smell it. It's just it depends on the situation. I guess the, it's I, entirely I, although, irrelevant. Although, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. If you're in your house, like something's burning, the stove, right? Yeah. But I think that's the only context. I think this is a pineapples conversation. Is it a pineapples conversation? Yeah. <sighs> So, do you want me to repeat them? No. Okay. I want you to repeat three. C. C is you can smell fear and disgust. And I am smelling it right now. Can you? From my own self. Uh, it's a classic pheromones thing. But I don't think you can smell it. I think it like it's like a subconscious smell. So, it doesn't have a scent to us. Okay. It's like a subconscious analysis. So, like, would you call well, it a C? Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't... What do you mean? Well, it's a smell if... It doesn't have to have a, a scent you perceive... Your you brain, I mean? your brain can perceive the smell. Whether you go like, "Oh, it smells like fear," yeah, your brain might still be able to perceive. I'm not saying it does. I'm just saying if but it like, did. But like, we're here right now talking. Yeah. If I like right now, I don't smell anything. I don't know about right. you, but like, but if I was afraid and you could sense I was afraid, yes. But like, you, is that might... considered a smell, or is the smell the identification of the scent? Do you know what I mean? Like, is my body no, like the, the particles? The particles are going into my nose. My brain is perceiving it the same way it would smell anything. Right. If it's if it goes through your olfactory system, which it would if you picked up on it, that's irrelevant whether you're aware of the scent. You're aware that I'm afraid. If it's through the olfactory system, it's smell information. I'm gonna go with B. Is false. B is true. The scent of female tears does dampen <laughs> male sexual desire. <laughs> Uh, you can smell fear. Do they just like have like a little vial and just like put the women's tears? I don't up know, but noses? I was like, that's the best thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Uh, you can smell fear and disgust. You, uh, they did a study. Uh, you can smell it through sweat. Yeah. And then you experience the same emotions. Researchers collected sweat from men as they watched movies that caused these feelings. 
To remain odor neutral for the sweat test, the men used scent-free products and quit smoking or using alcohol. Mm -hmm. Women participants then completed visual search tests while unknowingly smelling the sweaty samples. The women's eye movements and facial expressions were recorded during this time. The women who smelled fear, their um, eyes would um, get bigger. And the ones who smelled... My eyes are getting bigger. The, the, the sweat that was the disgust. Yeah. You, their facial features visibly like contorted to disgust. Wow. Isn't that wild? That is wild. Google's wild. But... And true, uh, and false rather, was there is no smite. But there yeah. is a smout. S- smell and sound. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Smout, that, was, that was a really good one. Yeah. That was a really good one. Because like, I just picture like... The same thing. The episode is talking like of Malcolm Gladwell is talking about how dogs right. they will do like 80 percent of their identification is through smell, twenty percent yep. is their sight. Yep. And they did like a little like example of what it looks like. Yeah. Instead of being like shapes and sizes and colors and like depths and stuff, yeah. it would be like scent identification. Yeah. And that's how they see depths and stuff like right. that based on smells and how far away yeah. things are and the types of things that are there. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, that seems the most reasonable. I was gonna like challenge you on smite. Or whatever yeah. it was, I was like, maybe you were just being an asshole and just calling it something it's not, but that thing actually exists. But I was like, no, I'm gonna let him have it. Yeah, no, that I, was wasn't, really good, I wasn't buddy. being an asshole. I just no. changed the scent. Scents, yeah. not yeah. the scent. A scent. Anyway, that's it. So, ladies and gentlemen, and children, and members of all ages, whether you've still got all your olfactory senses together or not, or all your teeth, you can just put salt on that meal mm-hmm. and go enjoy your break. Oh, feet sleep. Jennifer Benson Music Studio in Westbrook Landing, Mount Pearl is now accepting students on weeknights and weekends for piano, voice, and guitar with extra performance opportunities, fun collaborative experiences, and expert and encouraging staff for all ages and musical goals. Find out more now at www.jenniferbensonpiano.com. Well, well, we both. That's all, folks. Well, we both spoke at the same time, and now we're feeling a little awkward. I'm going to change my body position. And okay, all right, Jeff. Jeff, yes, are you ready? Okay. Yep, yep. And we're back. And we are back. We are back, Jeff. We and are back. What did you think of the new ad? You know what, Evan? What? I wasn't in it. No, I know. So, mm, would you like to be in one? I would love to be in one. Well, you know what? We can do more ads. Can if we? If you have an ad hmm. that you want to send in and send it to us. We will make that happen for you. Absolutely. So if you have something you'd like to promote, email us at info.splainin at gmail.com. Boom, baby. Let's do it. Uh, my turn? Jeff. Yes. Couldn't be anyone else's, could it? <laughs> if you had the choice, maybe. Can I go again? <laughs> As if I had more research than I finished that at quarter after seven. Uh, did you actually? No, probably quarter after six. <laughs> quarter, after, <laughs> quarter after eight. <laughs> 25 minutes ago yeah. in this half an hour thing. Um, so it is my turn. And I decided to, uh, well, we decided, but I decided to choose this t- topic out of the list of topics. Why? why am I <laughs> that whole sentence, I was like, how do I help him? I'm I feel like I want to hold you and tell you that it's okay. You were sitting, <laughs> you were sitting on the door in the water, and I was going like this, and you were like, "There's no room on the door, bitch." <laughs> I was trying to construct another door. No. I, like, I, I, just, I don't, I don't You're know. You're like, I, I, I have too much leg room. I'm I can't give up what, leg room, I'm Jack. working with what I got. Oh, that's bad. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, I decided to take on a topic that was far, that far exceeded my ability 
to explain. Right, and likely far exceeds my ability to comprehend. Exactly. So we're batting a thousand. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, best of British luck to you guys. Um, and They're not the problem. They're probably fine. They'll be like, well, we'll just go look it up and understand it ourselves. Yeah, 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 true. Although they um, come here to hear us butcher it. Indeed, and so we shall. Let's go. So I'm going to explain to you, Mr. Smith, yep. Albert Einstein mm-hmm. and his theory of relativity. Theory. <laughs> Please do. I'm excited. Uh, which, is, do, which is E equals MC squared? Well, we'll get there. Okay. Um, so we are, at, at first, I think it's important to dive into Albert Einstein and who he was, because I do think that people just look at him as the guy who came up with E equals MC squared, um, as opposed to, you know, he was a real human. He had an interesting life. He had an interesting biography. Yeah. And I know nothing about him other than I think he was like Austrian or something. Like, well, yeah. He definitely had a German accent. Definitely a German accent. Yeah. yeah. Um, and big old hair. Big old hair. Yeah. And a mustache. Yep. And a mustache. Uh, he was born on the 14th of March, 1879. A German-born theoretical physicist, widely acknowledged to be one of the greatest physicists of all time. Einstein is best known for developing the theory of relativity, uh, but he also made important contributions to the development of the theory of quantum mechanics, Uh which, between you and I, is like saying he contributed to fruit, but it's like (laughs) apples and bananas. You know what I mean? He still contributed to fruit. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, His mass energy equivalence formula... E equals MC square, uh, which arises from relativity theory, has been dubbed the world's most famous equation. Yeah. That people just quote it and have no idea what it's all about. Uh, yep. <laughs> I.e., just you just now. Although I remember using it in physics, and every time I would use it in physics, I'd be like, <gasps> did you actually use it in physics? Yes. Of course I did. You didn't? What level physics did you take that you did E equals MC square? High school physics. No! I think I did. No, you did D equals D equals a V over T. Or we did all this. We literally, I mean, there was like twenty five equations. D equals V T over to AD in the yes. Diet Pepsi squared. Yes, but like, I don't think we would ever come anywhere close to using E equals MC squared. By I really don't think is so. E equals MC squared not the um, energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. Yeah, we definitely used it. Hundred percent. Really? Yes, man. Okay. Hmm. Public school. It's not that hard to use. It's just hard to have created. I guess it's hard so. to have figured out in the first place. I mean, I guess you're right. Um, so his work is also known for its influence on the philosophy of science as well. He received the 1921 Nobel Prize in Physics for his services to theoretical physics and especially for his discovery of the law of photoelectric effect. Here's what I think about when I think of things like that. Okay. Like, when I think of Einstein, I think, like, okay, you're the top of your field. Yeah. You are discovering things no one else has known. Yeah. So how is there a panel of people who are like, let's give him the Nobel Prize? None of us know what he's doing. Yeah. None of us know what the hell Einstein is up to. It's, but we're like, he's doing something no one's done. So by. You know what I mean? Like, how yeah. is there a panel reviewing that? Exactly. So what's really funny is, well, I, I left it out, right. um, but it, upon my research, I was like, he was like, when he first came out with his theory of relativity, yeah. 95%. Yes, first LP. Everybody was like, no, bye. You are out to lunch. Right. And they just completely disregarded it and just said, you are literally an idiot. Right. It took like two years before he was able to prove it. And so like, I love that. you're totally right. Like people sitting down at the panel being like, you know what I mean? Like you're. We don't understand this because it's brand new. Yep. Yeah. Um, his intellectual achievements and originality resulted in Einstein being synonymous with the word genius. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You're an Einstein. You're an Einstein. Yeah. Einstein. So, Einstein. Um, so 
Albert Einstein was born in Ulm in the kingdom of Württemberg in the German Empire. Oh. Yeah. On the 14th of March, 1879. Into a family of secular Ashkenazi Jews. Ashkenazi. Sure. Sure. Uh, his parents were Hermann Einstein, a salesman and engineer, and Pauline Koch. In 1880, the family moved to Munich, where Einstein's father and his uncle Jacob formed Elektrotechnische Fabrik J. Einstein Echich. They're a company yeah. that manufactured electrical equipment based on direct current. Okay. DC. His uncle and his dad? Yeah. yeah. In 1894, Herman and Jacob's company lost a bid to supply the city of Munich with electrical lightning which is weird because electrical lightning, just electricity, because they lacked the capital to convert their equipment from DC, which is standard to more efficient alternative current, AC, which became the new standard. Ah. Uh, the loss forced the sale of the Munich factory and the company. In search of new business, the Einstein family moved to Italy, first to Milan, and a few months later to Pavia. When the family moved to Pavia, Einstein, then 15, stayed in Munich to finish his studies at the Lutpold Gymnasium, which I'm finding strange because every school is called a gymnasium. The whole school is called a gymnasium? It's just called the Lutpold Gymnasium. And they called different schools gymnasiums later on. Anyways, at the end of December 1894, he traveled to Italy to join his family. Uh, Einstein excelled at math and physics, obviously, from a young age, reaching a mathematical level years above that of his peers. Mm. The 12-year-old Einstein taught himself algebra and Euclidean, Euclidean? Euclidean geometry over a single summer. Okay. Um, Einstein also independently discovered his own proof of the Pythagorean theorem at the age of 12. Of course he did. Mm -hmm. A family tutor, Max Talmund, Talmud, sorry, says that after he had given the 12-year-old Einstein a geometry textbook, he returned shortly after with the whole book completed top to bottom. The uh, He thereupon devoted himself to higher mathematics. Yeah. Soon the flight of his mathematical genius was so high I could not follow, quoted Talmud. His passion for geometry and algebra led the 12-year-old to become convinced that nature could be understood as a mathematical structure. Mm. Einstein started teaching himself calculus at 12, and at 14, he says he had mastered integral and differential calculus. Wow. Which didn't know there was a difference between differential and integral. I don't know. I did calculus, integral. but... I did not. I was really bad at math in high school. Oh, no. I was good, but... I didn't get. I used to just sit in the back and play games on my calculator, like those graphing calculators that I would had just games spell on them. Boobs. Um, no, the graphing ones. They had like actual games on them. I would spell boobs. You're a nobody. You're ten ply, bud. <laughs> Your spare parts, bud. My, I had like a, I was like it wasn't rocket. It was like called Star Man or something. It was a great little game. Yeah. I used to do that, and then the night before the exam, I just went to my friend Sam's house and like Sam, because my teacher would be like, "Here are the fourteen questions for the exam." Like Sam, teach it to me, and like, um, Goodwill Hunting style. Yeah. She taught me, and I got a hundred. My God, that's great. <laughs> Slytherin <laughs> teach me all of calculus in one night and I did and I got a hundred but I just I couldn't have done it the next day like the day after like I memorized exactly how to do it and then forgot all of it oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you treated math as you treat history you yeah. memorize it and then forget it exactly yeah um, right at the age of 13 when he had become more seriously interested in other things like philosophy, mm -hmm. Einstein was introduced to Kant's Critique of Pure Reason. Oh, Kant. Yeah, Kant became his favorite philosopher, his tutor stating, At the time he was still a child, only 13 years old, yet Kant's work, 
incomprehensible to ordinary mortals seem to be clear to him. <laughs> so his tutor was a poet. Yeah. Yeah. And just just thought very highly of him. <laughs> in January 1896, with his father's approval, Einstein renounced his citizenship in the German kingdom of Württemberg to avoid military service. Okay. In September of 1896, he enrolled in the four-year mathematics and physics teaching diploma program at the Federal Polytechnic School. At what age? Uh, 1896, so he's probably like, I don't know, 18? Okay, cool. Maybe. 20. Uh, Einstein's future wife... A 20-year-old Serbian named Meliva Merk, Merik, also enrolled. <laughs> You're just at really the, into the Achlouds now. They aren't They're like I, doubling I just, they down. They don't even exist. No. I'm just adding yeah. them in. Merk, uh, also enrolled at the school as well. She was the only woman among the six students in the mathematics and physics section of the teaching diploma course. Mm. Over the next few years, Einstein's and Merrick's friendship developed into a romance, and they spent countless hours debating and reading books together on extracurricular physics in which they were both interested mm. einstein wrote in his letters to merrick that he preferred studying alongside her mm, yes so nice. let's do a, a little dive into his wife and children and more importantly his romantic life <laughs> so early correspondence <laughs> said, like let's dive into his wife <laughs> and i was gonna say something but then you said and children I was like oh i'm just gonna leave that and i was like yeah no, no i can't no i have to i have to just go there thank you mm. Uh, early correspondence between Einstein and Merrick uh, was discovered and published in 1987, which revealed that a couple had a daughter, born in the early in early 1902, where Merrick was staying with her parents. Merrick returned to Switzerland without the child, whose real name and fate are still unknown. Oh. The contents of Einstein's letter in September 1903 suggest that the girl was either given up for adoption or died of scarlet fever and infancy. Oh. Maybe that's why they didn't talk about it. Einstein and Merrick married in January 1903. In May 1904, their son Hans Albert Einstein was born, and their other son, Edward, was born in July of 1910. Mm -hmm. The couple moved to Berlin in 1914, but Merrick returned to Zürich with their sons after learning that despite their close relationship, Einstein's chief romantic attraction was now focused to his cousin, Elsa Lauenthal. What happened? She was his first cousin maternally and second cousin paternally. Wait. Exactly. They were like, like... So the mother and father were somehow related? Exactly. Um, the two divorced 14th of February 1919, having lived apart for five years. Is that his birthday? No, March 14th. March 14th. Oh. How, I don't know how you retained his birthday. I'm shocked. Oh, I'm good with dates. Um, as part of the divorce settlement, Einstein agreed to give... Valentine's Mary Day. Oh, how sad. They divorced on Mary Valentine's Day. Mm. Merry Valentine's Day. <laughs> Merry Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> Einstein Hope you like alimony. <laughs> well, listen to this alimony. He agreed to give her his Nobel Prize money. Which was what? Like 100 grand or something. It was probably like, you know, three nickels and a high five. Right. Um, <laughs> in letters revealed in 2015, Einstein wrote to his early love, Mary Winterler, about his marriage and his strong feelings for her. He wrote in 1910, while his wife was pregnant with their second child, I think of you in heartfelt love every spare minute, and I'm so unhappy as only a man can be. He spoke about a misguided love and a missed life regarding his love for Mary. Wow. Is that his cousin? No. That's another, another woman. woman. Einstein, Einstein married Elsa in 1919 after having a relationship with her since 1912. They emigrated to the United States in 1933. Elsa was diagnosed with heart and kidney problems in 1935 and died in 1936. Uh, uh, in 1923... 
Einstein fell in love with a secretary named Betty. <laughs> Einstein, you old dog. He's an old dog. Just imagine that crazy ass hair and just be like. Ah! <laughs> I just imagine his crazy ass hair like when he's like putting on the charm. Yeah. He just like combs it all to the Slicks side. It like it's only when he emerges from his like e chambers, it's like all crazy. <laughs> But like when he's in his in his study, it's like when he goes out in the town, he like throws in a leather jacket and slicks it all back. But it's still like two feet high in the air. But it's like an Elvis do. All the same volume. Yeah. Um so uh he had oh right, so <laughs> so night just uh, you didn't pick up on this, but he his his cousin wife died in nineteen thirty six. <laughs> okay. But he was also in love with the secretary in nineteen twenty three. So he just oh. was cheating on everybody. Okay. Later, there was an account found where they found letters to up to six different women with whom he spent time with and from who he received gifts while being married to Elsa. Yeah. When you say gifts. <laughs> okay, go on. E equals MC squared. All right. <laughs> to the power of two, baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So carrying forward, I just wanted to do a small little dive into his romance. Yeah, I'm shocked by all of it. The to law be of attraction. Yeah. In 1901, so let's yeah. dive back a bit. The theory of relativity. Yeah. Yeah, Don't rel- marry your relatives. <laughs> you nobody. <laughs> My theory of relativity is second cousins are okay. <laughs> That's it. Topic done. Yeah. The theory of dirtbaggery. Mm. Uh, in 1901, he acquired Swiss citizenship. Citizenship. <laughs> nope. I like the other one. Thank you. Which he kept for the remainder of his life. Okay. And in 1903, he secured a permanent position at the Swiss Patent Office in Bern. Yeah. Uh, in 1905, he was awarded a PhD by the University of Zurich. In 1914, Einstein moved to Berlin in order to join the Prussian Academy of Sciences and the Humboldt University of Berlin. Okay. 1917, Einstein became director of Kaiser Wilhelm Institute of Physics. Mm-hmm. He also became a German citizen again. Oh. In Why 19- doesn't he just keep his citizenship in other places and kind of, like lose it and get it again? Well, because there's a lot of... Back in that time, there was the Franco-Prussian War, which led into the First oh, World right. War. And he, he lost the German citizenship, so he wouldn't get drafted. Drafted. Right. And then, like, and then he came back. But now, in December of 1930, Einstein visits America. Yeah. Um, in 33. He decides to stay in America okay. because he learns of the Nazi rise of power. Oh. Um. Yeah. So in February and March of 1933, the Gestapo repeatedly raided his family's apartment in Berlin while he was in America. Right. Later on, they heard that their cottage had also been raided by the Nazis and his personal sailboat was confiscated. Upon landing in Antwerp, Belgium, on the 28th of March, he immediately went to the German consulate and surrendered his passport, formally renouncing his German um, citizenship. So again, he relinquished it. The Nazis later sold his sailboat and converted his cottage into a Hitler youth camp. What does that mean? What do you mean a Hitler? Youth Just like camp? a recruiting, like like summer camp. Do you for mean youth? Nazi youth camp? Yes, but it specifically said a Hitler youth camp. That's very bizarre. Yeah. So, like, let's talk about the historical significance of this cabin. Yeah. It was Einstein's cabin, which is like a big enough check mark. Yeah. And it's part of like some right. ridiculous Nazi bullshit. Yeah. Anyways. Very weird. Yeah. 
some boat. Um, <laughs> in 1933, Einstein discovered that the new German government had passed laws barring Jews from holding any official positions, including teaching at universities. Right. Historian Gerald Holden describes how, with virtually no audible protests being raised by their colleagues, thousands of Jewish scientists were suddenly forced to give up their university positions, and their names were removed from the roles of institutions where they were employed. That's so whack. Disgusting. A month later, Einstein's works were among those targeted by the German Student Union in the Nazi book burnings. Right. Right. One German magazine included um, Einstein in a list of enemies of the German regime with the phrase, not yet hanged. Like? Offering a $5,000 bounty on his head. But he was still in America. He was still in America. So they weren't like, go over there and get him. They were just like, no, if, they were just any, like if, he if anybody back. see him, go hang him. He's not yet to be like... Wow. We have learned from a previous episode that I'm not going to dive into now that Einstein was instrumental in warning the U.S. of the Germans' intent to construct an atomic bomb. Right. And therefore creating the Manhattan Project. Right. Uh, he did not exclusively work on the creation of the bomb itself, but he was critical in its development in the U.S. Right. If you want to learn more about that, go see that episode. Uh, what episode that. is it? Manhattan Project? Uh, it was the Manhattan Project, yeah. but I don't know. I can't remember what it's right, called. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Bay of Pigs? No, the Bay of... No. Mm, no. No. In the Bay of Purple Nurples? Purple Nurples? I don't not, know. No. Um, so Einstein became an American citizen in 1940. Not long after settling into his career at the Institute of Advanced Study in Princeton, New Jersey, he expressed his appreciation of the meritocracy in American culture when he compared it to Europe. He recognized the right of individuals to say and think what they pleased mm -hmm. without social barriers. And as a result, individuals were encouraged, he said, to be more creative, a trait he valued from his own early education. Yeah. On the 17th of April, 1955, Einstein experienced internal bleeding caused by the rupture of an abdominal aortic aneurysm. Oh, shit. He took the draft of a speech he was preparing for a television appearance commemorating the State of Israel's seventh anniversary with him to the hospital. But he did not live to complete it. Oh. Einstein refused surgery, saying, I want to go when I want. It is tasteless to prolong life artificially. I've done my share. It is time to go. So articulate for someone who's about to die. Like, he clearly wasn't like, Ugh. he was just like, no, I'm good, guys. Thanks. Thanks so much for your help. But you just kill me. I'll just die. Yeah. I will do it elegantly. Oh, wow. He died in Princeton Hospital early the next morning at the age of 76, having continued to work right up until the end. Wow. During the autopsy, the, the pathologist of Princeton Hospital removed Einstein's brain for preservation without the permission of his family, in the hope that the neuroscience of the future would be able to discover what made Einstein so intelligent. Einstein's remains were cremated in Trenton, New Jersey, and his ashes were scattered at an undisclosed location. Well, wait, hang on. Are you going to tell me what they did with the brain? No, because I don't know. I'd say it's probably in a glass jar somewhere. Just they still it. have it. I would imagine. I'd say it's preserved somewhere, yeah. Has been tested and observed, I would imagine. That's weird. In a memorial lecture delivered on the 13th of December, 1965, nuclear physicist J. Robert Oppenheimer summarized his impression of Einstein. He's the Manhattan guy? Yeah. yeah. He was almost wholly without sophistication and wholly without worldliness. There was always with him a wonderful purity at once childlike and profoundly stubborn. Hmm. Indeed. It's almost an insult. It's almost, almost a diss. Almost. <laughs> yeah, almost. Um, 
So his academic life. So yeah. throughout his life, Einstein published hundreds of books and articles. He published more than 300 scientific papers and 150 non-scientific ones. Okay. The Anus Mirabilis. Mirabilis? Mirabilis? Don't know. It's called The Miracle Year. Okay. Um, they are a series of four articles pertaining to the photoelectric effect, which gave rise to the quantum theory, the Brownian motion, the um, special theory of relativity, and E equals MC square. Okay. That Einstein published in a scientific journal in one year in 1905. All of them in the one journal. Uh, I think there were four separate articles, but they yeah, probably right. all went to the same article. Yeah, okay, yeah. The most important thing is it all happened in 1905. Okay. Uh, these four works contributed substantially to the foundation of modern physics and changed views on space, time, and matter. The four papers, uh, which I just kind of briefly stated, the photoelectric, the Brownian, special relativity, and matter is energy equivalence, each one kind of having their own uh, relevancy, their own title, and their own yeah. kind of thing. Each one worked together to kind of explain his theory of relativity to a degree. Oh, it was like, wait for part two to come out next month, kind of. Kind of, kind of. So like they, There was a link. Mildly. So um, the photoelectric effect um, resolved an unsolved puzzle by suggesting that energy is exchanged only in discrete amounts. Um, the Brownian motion explained empirical evidence for the atomic theory supporting application of statistical physics. Um, special relativity. Um, actually, I'll get into that. And then the matter-energy equivalence is equivalence of matter and energy. And the implication, the ability of gravity to bend light. Right. Which kind of I also go into a little bit as well. Okay. So this is all fine and dandy. Right. But what is Einstein's theory of relativity and can two idiots truly understand the magnitude of his, his discovery? Stay tuned after this commercial break to find out. That would be a good point. Oh, that'd like, be a great right? point. Yeah. Yeah. Can two idiots... Or like that would be like trailer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a world... In a world... Where two idiots do their best. <laughs> and still and fail. And still fail. <laughs> can, That's the worst. Can they determine one of the most complex scientific theories? Sure, they can read it off a piece of paper. Sure, they can donate to Wikipedia and steal all the information. <laughs> but they're... <laughs> and the, meanwhile, if you look at, like, Wikipedia's, like, books, like, <laughs> what are you doing? If you, Sorry, you can if anyone's that, listening, so I just that. smoked it. Don't speak into it like that. Evan! It's going to be like this. Um, I don't know what I was saying. Go on. Good, it was probably useless. You know, it was <laughs> definitely useless. Of that, I'm certain. Anyway, shall we dive? Let's. Okay, so... Uh, I'm going to use London City Girl's five-part explanation that I got specifically from her YouTube video, Theory of Relativity Explained in Seven Minutes. All right. I will likely take longer you, to explain You will likely take 70. Yeah. Um, so, part one. Classical relativity. Okay. Okay. So, first, there are some absolutes okay. that we need to accept. Okay. You and I, but also the rest of the world. Right. Okay. There is no such thing as an absolute motion or absolute rest. Okay? okay? So objects move relative to each other. Okay. Okay? So when referring to movement, it is always best practice to say with respect to. Okay. Okay? So as an example, you see a truck driving down the road. Mm -hmm. We say it's going 60 kilometers an hour. Right. It's going 60 kilometers an hour with respect to me standing still as it drives by. Right. Right? So there's... If you're running along next to it, it's going 
55 kilometers an hour Ex- with respect to you moving five kilometers an hour. Perspect- exactly. Yeah. Now, if I was running in the opposite direction, it would go 65. Right. Makes sense? Yeah. If you have two boys playing in the car and they're throwing ball and the ball is going in the opposite direction, but you understand what I mean. So, yeah. so there's that, okay. so that everything is respect to and relative to. Yeah. Um, but more importantly, is that everything in the opposite sort of sense, there's no absolute rest either okay so even though we say something is stationary the reality is is that the earth is in constant motion around itself around the sun the sun is in constant motion in the milky way the milky way is in constant in the universe and the galaxy etc etc there's constant motion there is no such thing as absolute rest right and like it doesn't even go further to like the microscopic scale like the atoms are in motion exactly okay so like but in terms of like if we go larger than microscopic yeah and like just you and i are sitting here saying that we are both at rest is not is not accurate we are both technically in movement right now because the earth is moving okay make sense yeah yeah so that is called classical relativity okay make sense yeah part two the special theory of relativity or time dilation okay dial up strap in dial up that's the new one Season three. Dial up. <laughs> dial up. <laughs> I was going like, to try like to do some like, dial up sound. Do, 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 or like in the Matrix. Hey, mom. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Jeff's just going to explain the theory. theory. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah, I'll be home soon. Jeff's going to explain the theory relative to me. Okay. Love you. Bye. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so the second thing we need to accept is that the speed of light is the same always for all observers. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm going to give you an example. And... Travel with me. I want to remember the speed of light right now. It's three point zero two. You're wrong, but you're cl- but like oh. I'd love to see what you say. The rest of it is. <sighs> you want me to give you what the number is? The like the three number? No, nope. the first number thing. No, nope. oh, it's something times ten to the power of something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yep. It's two million nine hundred and ninety nine thousand seven hundred. Nope. 299 million. Oh, yeah. Two Se- point, yeah. Normally, it's 2.99 times yeah. 10 to the power of whatever. It's like 9 yeah. or whatever. Right. 299 million, yeah. 792,458 meters per second. Right. Real fast. Real fast. <laughs> um, so, let's. I'm going to give you an example. Okay. And for those who are listening, uh, dial up. But for those who are watching, hopefully, uh, eventually you'll watch. Um, we still haven't figured that out. No. No. But anyways. Yeah, um, we keep saying it again. I don't know why we keep saying it. It's because we're aware of it. It's there. It's there. The the document exists. Yep. But but the vehicle to which you two watch it does not. No. No, Bono is still not ready. So. No. <laughs> you too. Um, okay. So imagine two ping pong paddles. Okay. Okay. Can do. They are vertically adjacent to each other. So Great. one's on top of the other. Yep. Okay. Not touching though. Not They're touching. Separated. Exactly. Yeah. They're separated. And between them is a ping pong ball. And okay. the ping pong ball is going back and forth between the two ping pong paddles. Yep. Okay? Now, just for our example, the ping pong ball travels between the two paddles at the speed of light. Okay. Which we know is impossible, but whatever. bear with me. Sure. Okay? So, we have that example. Okay? Okay. Bing, 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 Sure. Let's add a second set of ping pong paddles with another ball. Just like next to it, just to give a perspective. Okay. So we see two of them going at the exact same time. Okay. What we are acknowledging is that the speed of light is the exact same for both observers. Okay. The observers being the two ping pong paddles. Okay? okay. Now, let's say 
I am one of the lunatics playing ping pong with myself, and you are the other lunatic playing ping pong with yourself. Both of us have two paddles each, and we somehow have magically been able to hit the ball so hard that it's traveling the speed of light. Okay. With me? Yeah. Okay. The ball is traveling at the same speed because they're the same to both observers. I'm observing it, and you're observing it. Okay? Now, let's yes. say... I, but I just really need to reinforce that, that concept. <laughs> okay. Okay? I decide... Not decide. I have gained the power to also run at the speed of light. Okay. Okay? So I decide to dart on. Okay. You stay... Where'd you go? Where'd you go? But you stay put. Okay. Okay? So as I dart on, I'm still doing that, and so are you. The balls, respectively, to us, are observing, are still going the same speed between the two paddles. Right. But, so your ball is traveling up and down in a vertical axis, which means the distance is in a straight line up and down. Yeah. Now, picture me going left to right. So now I'm traveling horizontally. Yeah. So my ping pong ball has to travel up and down while you're moving. while still moving yeah so if you've ever played a sport if you ever know anything and someone's running yeah and you go how am i going to get the ball to them you kind of throw it in front of them for yes. them to get to it yeah so you have to like have anticipate to... where they'll be by the time a the little... ball gets yeah, there. yeah yeah so imagine now that this is happening and the ball is traveling between the two ping pong paddles in like a v and an upside down v motion it's going like ting 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 right. as it goes up and down as well as left to right okay so it's traveling against the vertical and the horizontal axis you with me? Yeah. Yeah. So it is now traveling a greater distance because it's going like in a V. Between paddles. Yep. Yeah. As opposed to your just straight vertical. Sure. But the speed of light is constant to both observers, which means our balls are still hitting the paddles at the same time, at the same speed. But mine is traveling a greater distance. But how is it traveling a greater distance? I mean, I know this is the point, but this is the point. How is it traveling a greater distance it, at the same speed and getting there in the same time? It's exactly. a greater distance. Exactly. So this is where it comes into. Okay. So I'm glad that you you followed. Um, let me see where I picked up to. Uh, so okay, because like not if we're not not talking about the speed of light. Yep. If you and I are going to Cornerbrook. Yeah. If you're going to Cornerbrook and I'm going to Stephenville. Yep. For instance. Yep. And. I drive faster than you. Yep. I will cover the distance faster. It won't yep. be like, oh, well, we'll still get there at the same time. Yep. So that's when we're looking at 100 kilometers an hour between, or 120 yeah. kilometers per hour. Yeah. Right? We're talking the speed of light. Okay. That's why I was like, this no, is no, a little but bit it's big. still speed. The same principle. Same principle. Yeah. But the scale, the scale is where it gets us. Okay. So the only way for this to work is if time slows down for me. If we were to both carry a stopwatch during this transaction, yeah. my watch would move much slower compared to yours. Time for me has slowed down, which allows my ping pong ball to travel a greater distance in the same at the same speed. Oh, yeah, at the same speed, yeah. Well, so, in, in the same amount of time. No, because time well, is different, right? It's yeah, the but, same but, speed. But say you're going – no, I know. But if you're going at speed of light as well – and so your time has slowed for you. Yeah. So that means it's just just okay. Yeah. Keep okay. going with me. I thought I was there, but I'm not. Let's go to the equation. Speed equals distance divided by time. Yep. Okay. V equals d over t. Yep. So as my distance is more, yep. The value of my time must also be more. Right. In order for the speed to always be 
$299 million, Right. That it, so the, the, the yeah. equation just has to adapt itself. Yeah. Um, so, or more so, the way it would look, is your minute would look longer than my minute. When you say look longer, yeah. what do you mean? On the stopwatch, like if I were to stop my watch at one minute, yours would have stopped at one minute and 20 seconds or one minute and 10 seconds or uh, two minutes, whatever the, the, the equivalent would be, would be. Yeah. Well, but, but then it hasn't happened in the same time then. No, because my time has slowed down. But what I'm saying, so if it's, it's, it's really tricky to get. But, but because, okay, hang on though. But yeah, the distance you. is not the same for the two of us. No, the distance is not the same. Well, of course, then the time would be different. Yes. Okay. The time has to be different because the speed has to remain consistent. Yes, the so, speed has to remain the system. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so yeah. if it's like it's like you know the speed is a is a constant, if the distance is a constant, or even if it's not, mm. you're solving for for time. Yeah. So time has to change based on the distance changing. Yes. In order to keep speed. But what I, but what I'm trying to say is that it's not as simple as like I start. Going first, it's no, like no, no, like I both know. of us are driving to corner. No, no, no I understand. It's You're like saying... no, no. We both start at the same time, and we both yeah. presumably end at the same time. Like we both click our watch, and we. Yes. we but that's we... not a good analogy that I was using because it's different. You are moving on two different planes, whereas mine's only moving on one. It doesn't matter, like the plane; it's the distance. So, yeah. like, if you take it, like, that's just an example of I just used it so you understood that I'm yes. also going a distance, right? Right. If we just simply go a distance, just a straight line distance, yeah. But it's a it's a finite amount of distance that we're traveling, yeah. If I'm going the speed of light and you are not, my time is going slower than yours, right? Right. Um, just because of that, right? Um, so you with me? I li- think so. You think so? As much as I can understand that, I'm understanding it. Yeah, it's called time dilation. Okay. Um, so in order to understand this in the theory of relativity, you must first stop thinking of time as a fixed unit for everybody. Right. Time is relative. Right. So the same way like you are thinking of time now as like, no, like I just start my watch before yours or whatever. Like it takes me longer to get a further distance, obviously. Yeah. Think of that concept, but with speed of light, which means that is the only thing that is absolute. Right. It's the only thing that is like, that is it. Yeah. The other two things, which is distance and time, are actually relevant. It's a hard concept. It's a very hard concept. Yeah. Right? So if we are both traveling the same speed yeah. and presumably the same time yeah. at a larger distance, I'm going a further distance, yeah. my time has to slow down in order to make the equation work. So the V equals D over T. Yeah. Right? So it just it bends the, the sense of time. Yeah. With me? Yeah. So... Part three is the special theory of relativity length contraction. Okay. So we discussed how time will dilate, obviously, in order to ensure that the speed of light stays the same for both you and I. Yeah. But something else also happens as well. See, time and space do not shift and adapt equally together. Time will only dilate so much. Right. So space also has to adapt in order for the speed to stay constant. This is called length contraction. Okay. So when moving close to the speed of light, not only does time slow down, but objects contract. They get smaller. Okay. In our example, if I started to travel the near speed of light, yeah. I would physically get smaller along with my paddles 
and therefore the distance the ball would have to travel between the two paddles would also then decrease. This plus the time dilating and slowing down would equal the exact same speed to which our balls would travel between the two paddles. Why would it be less distance if, the, if everything got smaller? Because the distance would get shorter between the two paddles and the ball. Yeah, but the ball would also get smaller. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I, obviously, it works and makes sense, but I was just, yeah. In that my analogy, brain, my yeah. brain was like, but you know the ball what, gets that, smaller. So in that it, analogy, it okay. In, in this instance, let's yeah. pretend the ball doesn't get smaller, right? And me and the two paddles get smaller. Right. Sure. Imagine it's my two hands. Yeah. Like you are right. This is yeah. a poor analogy for that. Right. I totally agree with you. Right. But in this analogy, let's pretend the ball doesn't get smaller. Okay. And everything else does. So the distance is actually shorter. Yes. Understand. Yeah. So distance contracts, time dilates. Yep. To make just that simple equation. Right. So space-time will literally warp itself to simply make the speed of light work. That's so weird. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So Einstein preferred not to think of space and time as two separate things, but one entity. Space-time. Space-time. Part four. Time travel. Oh, gee. Time slows down for objects as they travel faster, and closer to the speed of light. Right. Time stops for objects that actually travel the speed of light. Right. Therefore, if we follow the trend, if an object would then go faster than the speed of light, which, as we now know, cannot happen, well, not yet, Yeah. Uh, then time would effectively move backwards. backwards. Yeah. Um, and that's literally all he has to say about it. Like, that's where they, that's how they got there. It's like, okay, well, that's as it. you approach it, it slows down. Once you get there, it stops. If you go past it, it goes backwards. It's like it's kind of basic in a way. Yeah. When you explain it in that way. Yeah. yeah. Like that's, um, that's why he would deduce that time travel would work in that way. Yeah. Like I've had such a hard time understanding the thought of time slowing down. Yeah. Like I just like I don't get it. No, time is constant. Time is yeah. like you always hear the classic thing. Everybody, everybody has the same 24 hours in a day. Right. Like what are you doing with your 24 hours? It's funny. He's like, no, you don't. Time is literally relative. Yeah. Like, in a less grander sense, man, I keep hitting the mic. Um, like, if I spend my entire life traveling at 100 kilometers an hour and you don't, my time is different than yours. If we go in the lifespan of things, I might gain an extra minute on you or like 30 seconds, something stupid in the like 100 years. Do you know what I mean? Right. But time is different for me than it is for you if I'm traveling faster. That is what's wild to me. If I spend my whole life, just for some reason, in a rocket ship, traveling 50,000 miles a second, and you're just on Earth hanging out, time is different for me than it is for you. I will age slower than you because I'm yes. simply traveling right. faster. Yes. If we spend like 100 Earth years, yeah, right, whatever that means, yeah, I'm doing a traveling 50,000 kilometers an hour, and yeah. you are not, yeah. I will effectively age less. Yeah. Because time is different for me. Yeah. I experience time. But what's interesting is that it's not like everything is in slow motion for me. Because everything is still relative to the observer. So for me, yeah. in the time... You're walking around the spaceship in the same speed I'm walking around. Exactly. But except that you're moving. Yeah. And it's like, for me, I'm just like doing my own thing. We're both experiencing to the same observer the same amount of time. So likewise... Yeah. If humans... Or 
doesn't really matter have to be humans, if anything, I guess, was on a different a planet that was moving at a different rate than Earth, they yeah. would age in a different way. Exactly. Yeah. Their biological clocks and how they would react to it would be completely different. Yeah. Right? Uh, vice versa, they come to Earth. All of a sudden, their lifespan would be five years on their home planet. All of a sudden, they're living to 200 years because yeah. they're traveling at a different speed. Yeah. And their their the their biological clock and how they experience time is yeah. completely different. Yeah. Isn't that wild? It's wild. Like Google's wild by Google. I mean, yeah, is wild. But that's uh, have you seen Interstellar? Yeah. So like that's that exact same principle. So when our protagonists travel to this planet, one yeah. hour on this planet is equal to seven years on Earth. Yeah. Because of the immense gravity and the speed in which they are traveling. Yeah. Um, forces them to to do that. Yeah. Crazy, eh? Part five. The general theory of relativity. Okay. So this one might be a little bit more difficult. Okay. Like, the other one is more conceptually more difficult to grasp. Right. This one may be a little bit more difficult visually. Okay. At least for me it was until I, like, saw it on a screen. Right. So what is a gravitational pull? That wasn't a question. It was rhetorical. I understand. Einstein theorized that objects warp space-time around it, causing space-time to become curved. Okay. As a result, objects experienced gravitational attraction to each other. Mm -hmm. Okay, This warping of space-time explains how objects behave as they move through space. He suggested that... And when they say space, they just mean like a space. It could be across the room. Not necessarily outer space. No, they do not mean outer space. They They mean mean the plane. The plane of... A distance. They've moved a distance. Yeah, a distance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Think of it as a four-dimensional thing yeah so like the three dimensionals like height width length and then the fourth being time right right those are the plane in which we move through that space yeah makes sense he suggested that massive objects like the sun didn't pull bodies like earth with a massive tug instead they would curve the fabric of space-time around them forcing earth to fall down into a steep valley okay so I'm going to explain an analogy for this. Imagine a mesh net. Okay. Like a trampoline. Okay. Okay. You lay a big bowling ball in the center of the trampoline. Mm-hmm. And then you pour marbles around the edge of the trampoline. What happens? All uh, the balls roll towards. Yeah. The ball. Yeah. Right. So imagine space-time or this concept, this four-dimensional thing all around us. Yeah. Is a big mesh net. Yeah. And something is so big and so vast that it's actually able to warp the area around it. That The mesh was once a flat plane. The sun is so big that it dips a little curve, like where the, where the sun just magically sits in it. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So all the other planets are moving around themselves. Yeah. But because the sun is so big and it dips that little mesh down, they just naturally follow that curvature. Right. As the sun. But each one of these things also has its own impactful little bulb. So they're all moving and then other little things will travel within those. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that and so that's how it does. So if we think of space, not necessarily space time, but this the idea of space, yeah. of like a, an area of a mesh, that each one will impact it. And that's what's happening. Is that as we're navigating through, like me and you like another example would be the natural curvature of our earth. Yeah. Right? We think we're walking straight. Right. But then the Earth has curved space-time so that we walk in a curve around the Earth. 
Yeah. Think of it like that. And so our, us, if we were to just walk around the earth, that's the only way we can walk because the earth has dictated, it's, it's manipulated space-time so that right. we have no other option but to walk through there. So the sun is so big that manipulates space so that things will just like, like a trampoline, it just like dips into the little valley that right. it created. Also, with the whole mesh net thing, I'm just thinking like, you know, like the, the I think I'm thinking of like a mesh, like, you know, like it's all like these little squares yeah, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. When the sun dips in the middle, yep. the squares around the sun are now elongated. Sure, yeah. Right? Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. like that's also kind of a thing. Yeah, I don't, I'm I not don't. not sure how to make that analogy. I don't yet. think it's a thing in like their, their kind of relationship to quantum physics and stuff okay. like that. But like, I don't think that's kind of right. how it, we should bring up the net principle to them and see what they think. Exactly. Yeah, it may be something groundbreaking. <laughs> um, so similarly to the marble getting closer to the bowling ball because of the increased steepness of the mesh, as we get closer to Earth's center, gravity becomes more intense and we would move faster. Right? Like if we were falling or getting closer to Earth's center. Right? Mean? Like think of something orbiting Earth. The closer it gets to Earth, oh, the faster oh, it moves. Oh, oh, right? Yeah, I think mean things on the Earth. Also the things on the Earth. So an object that's the that, center then? The middle of the Earth. Oh, not closer as in towards the equator. Correct. Closer like th- inside of the ground. Correct. I exactly. The equator is what's closest to the sun, remember, not the center of the Earth. The equator is the closest point facing the yes. sun. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. An object that falls towards the Earth accelerates as it races towards the center of the planet. It falls faster when just above the surface than it does when it's slightly above the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so light in a room. So this is where uh, he kind of goes a little bit deeper. And okay. this is where I I understand it. But like I would Do almost... Uh, no, not really. <laughs> I'd also need an example of it. Okay. So light in a room. You're yeah. in a room. You shine a flashlight on a wall. Yeah. Okay. It looks like it is going straight at the wall. Mm-hmm. Right. It takes the fastest point, which is straight. Right. Yeah. Um, let's say this room starts traveling like you're in a in a, an elevator. Yeah. It starts traveling stupid, stupid fast. Okay. Eventually, the light will bend to the speed at which it's traveling because it is affecting space time around it, and therefore the light would bend. Now it wouldn't to you. It would still look straight, but to an observer, a third-party observer, the light would be bending. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So, like, let's say it's an elevator that's dropping at a speed it can't possibly go, but sure. Yes, exactly. And, to and, a le- yeah, yes, yes. You're light. on the elevator, yeah. so you're also f- dri- traveling at that speed. You, exactly. You notice nothing. Yeah. The person watching the elevator fall, which they couldn't perceivably see. But like, if they but could. If they could, the light would be bending, like, bending downwards. Yeah. There is or no, upward. Yeah, There yeah, is yeah. no spin. There is no spin. Precisely. Um, so... Theories previously believed that light takes the fastest route. Right. And Evan, what is the fastest route between two objects? A straight line between them? That is is the correct answer that I'm looking for. But it's actually the incorrect answer. Okay. Um, Because the fastest route is actually now determined to be a curved line. But not because... Of the straightforward answer of like, well, no, that doesn't make sense because straight line. Is, yeah, the distance is less for a straight line. Yes. Right. But because it has no other option because of how it is bent and curved with space-time. Like a straight line isn't an option, so it can't Ex- be the right answer. Exactly. Right. So like if imagine the bowling ball and the trampoline. Now, instead of the bowling ball like literally touching the trampoline so nothing can go underneath it, yeah. imagine the bowling ball being like an inch and a half. 
above the trampoline, but okay. it's still creating that concave kind of feel in the trampoline. Right. Okay. It's pushing it down with its gravitational force. Sure. Great. Uh, it's just levitating. It's just so powerful. Yeah. So imagine the ball is there, and you have a marble and another marble. So yeah. the two marbles are in plain sight of each other in a straight line. Yeah. Okay? So if they were to shoot a light, a beam of light, from one marble to the other. Right. Okay? You would think the path would be a straight line. But the pull from the bowling ball will pull the will light. pull the light Upwards. down, and the light will bend yeah. with the curvature from the gravitational force based on the space-time warping. Yeah. So everybody says it's a straight line. It's like, well, that is the straight line. It has no other choice. Right. That is as straight as it goes. It is yeah. following. Right. Like imagine a road, and the road just bends around a mountain. Well, yeah. yeah the option is to go straight through the mountain, but that is not a choice. You yeah. have to take the road yeah. based on the curvature of the space-time. Yeah. Make sense? Yeah. Um, so that is that is another thing. So um, John Wheeler summarized it by saying space-time tells matter how to move. Okay. Matter tells space-time how to curve. Mm-hmm. So Einstein proved some of, his, some of his theories by finally being able to explain Mercury's strange rotation around the sun. So oh, all the of planet. them. I was like, like was it in salmon? No, <laughs> like Mercury. So each one has like an oblong kind of like really weird yeah, oval. It's orbit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know why I didn't say orbit. I said rotation. Um, but Mercury's was constantly like doing something else, and no one could explain why. But like inconsistently. Inconsistently. Okay. No, no. It was consistently doing something different than the other planets. Right. But it wasn't following the same thing every time. It was inconsistent in its orbit. Imagine it doing an orbit, but also circularly doing it. You ever seen those like little like pens that make a flower because they keep circular going, making like little petals? No. Never mind. Anyways, it was doing something different, but this theory, he was able to explain it. Okay. I didn't dive deep enough to be able to explain that to you. Okay. Um, but also, he was able to predict the location of certain stars during an eclipse based on the curvature from the sun. So he predicted that light should bend as it approaches the sun okay. due to the sun's gravitational curvature in space-time. Okay. And therefore, he would observe the location of stars in different locations than where they actually are. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm with you. So he gave. There's a picture, and it shows Earth, the Sun, and the star is there right. behind the Sun. But because of the space time, it goes like this, right. and we can effectively see the star, right. even though we have no business seeing the star. It's behind the Sun. It's behind the Sun, but right. because of the curve in space time, we were able to see it the way the light travels from the star to us. That's wild. Isn't it wild? Yeah. So he was able to do that. So there are stars not behind the sun that we can't see because, because of the sun the... is blocking them. Presumably. Yeah. 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 That's so weird. Yeah. Like, I don't know if that's an actual thing, but, no, that, but in theory. Yeah, in theory, that exactly. would be. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So taking all of those things into relation, that is his theory of relativity. That it has nothing to do with constants and everything is the same and equal and it's done. No, it's everything is relative to other things in respect to something else. So the star is behind the sun relative to the Earth, but based on the continuum and the space-time warping and the blah, blah, The space-time warping. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's his theory of relativity. And, I like, this is literally, like, a touch of it. Like, oh, obviously. obviously. It goes deep, yeah. like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, this is the surface level yeah. trying to understand it. Yeah. 
Yeah, theory of relativity 101. Yep. I had a really hard time. 101. Thank you. I had a really hard time trying to grasp the concept of time not being the same. Yeah, I'm still struggling with that, but I don't want to think too hard about it right now. Yeah. I'd like to go watch like a video. Like, 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 I want to see a, some sort of visual representation that might help me, or in some but the way, visual or... representation is not going to help. No, I know. I in just... terms of understanding, like, because the only thing that like we need to understand mm. is that, like, in our example of the ping pong things, for both of us moving, yeah, or like you standing still or whatever, and me taking off at the speed of light, yeah, it is the same. I feel the same as you do. I'm experiencing time the same as you are. So I'm doing yes, the same thing. Yes, but in relation still, to me, exactly, you're I'm going mo- slower. I'm going way slower. Well, so, time is. You're, I mean, you're. I'm not moving, and you are. No, but hypothetically, if somehow there was a tool for you to watch me, yeah, as I take off and you stand still, it looks like I'm moving in slow motion to you, even though I'm gone. Wait, what? Yeah, the act of my ping pong ball and stuff, and like me moving, it would look like I'd be moving in slow motion to you. Mm, are you sure? No. If you're a traveling speed of light, I, you'd be gone before I even saw you. But that's what I'm trying to say is that like if there was a if there was a tool for you to be able to like if there was a way for you to observe me in an observable, I don't think I'm. I'm right. not, no, I don't think so. I don't think so either. Because that it's just like I like a picture. It's like you stand up right now, and like you just like do like your arms as if you're running, but like you do it in like slow motion, and like be like, yeah, but I'm going at the speed of light right now, like yeah, but you're not, but. you're not even, I, you're still in the room, man, you're still moving. Like, that's why I said if there's a world where you could observe me, but you can't, obviously. But that's what I'm trying to say is that it's relative to each other. That like to me as the observer, my ball is still traveling at the speed of light. Yes, no, and I understand that. I'm still that. going at yeah. my own time. Yeah, no, I understand And to that. you, you are doing the same thing. Yeah. But relative to each other, I am, like, time is, has slowed down for me. Yeah. So and, that's, and, like, the concept of, like, an interstellar in the movie. Yeah, that was one of the only movies that I found explained it well enough for me to understand, yeah. to be honest. Well, it's not even they explained it in a way. They just had an analogy yeah. that would that we were like, okay, we understand. Because it gave us both examples. Yeah. That life on Earth was still happening, that they yeah. were still going, and they were on their planet still living in the perceived same time notion. Like it's not like for them they were traveling in slow motion and no, no, no. seconds went longer. It's like no. They were living and yeah. experiencing and observing time the same way the people did on Earth. Yeah. But because they were so close to a black hole and yeah. the gravitational pull was so strong and they were traveling so fast. Yeah. That their one hour was worth seven years on Earth. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 I need to rewatch it. I've only seen the movie once. So I watched it. Me and Catherine watched it like half recently. Okay. During the pandemic. Right. So uh, within the last 10 years then. Yeah, correct. (laughs) The last five years. Um, And I wept. Oh, it's emotional. I remember that. I remember that aspect. Yeah. I cried and cried and cried just watching Matthew McConaughey. Listen. He's a He's douche like, lord. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> it's not all right, all yeah. right. Uh, like his book is great. His life is great. He's a douchey actor. Yeah. But in that movie, oh, he's great. I was there with him, and I mourned. And also, he's great at being a douchey actor. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, have you read his book, Green Lights? No. You told me about it more than once. Oh, you have to. Remember how passionate I have been about trying to get you to listen to a revisionist history? Yes. And then when you finally did, you're like, Jeff, I should have listened to you for the last four years. Well, it's not that I was actively not listening to you. I just hadn't got around to it yet. 
Like it wasn't it's like I don't, it wasn't like I don't think I'll like it. I just like was doing other things in sure. the podcast world. Audiobook Green Lights. Okay. Our we'll listeners do. go audiobook Green Lights. Matthew McConaughey. Let's make Matthew McConaughey more money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's what the book is about. It's like you always like if you if you look for these autobiographies of celebrities, yeah. like you're always looking for that underdog story of like I went through oppression, I right. came up through a family of twelve, and we had one bedroom, yeah. we shared no, a toothbrush. Yeah. Right. His book is literally about his entire life has just been green lights. Yeah. He just like not floated through life. He's had adversity. Well, yeah, he's, he's had to were. overcome things. But overall, but like he was dealt a fairly easy hand. Yeah, yeah. and like. Every time he would like tell a story and how the choices he made, yeah, got him ahead a little bit more. And each time, everything and like you can yeah. say, like you know, sure he had like privileges and yeah. all these kinds of things. But like every time he'd be like, "Green light," <laughs> and you'd be like, "Yeah," because he's uh, he's narrated it. Yeah, he's yeah, narrating yeah. it. So yeah, he's that's, like, that's a good time. I went to the audition. I was like, "This role's mine," <laughs> and she looked at me and she said, "Mr. McConaughey, this role's yours." <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, green light. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's just like it's such a a a, a strange read. Yeah, because you're expecting him to be like, I grew up in a small like a big right. family in yeah. a small house. We had no money. Yeah. Now his childhood was really messed up. He he has had the wildest life yeah. with the craziest experiences. Yeah, like literally from A to Z in terms of things he has went through. Yeah, and the stories he has. He's the the Hollywood Peter Halley. Right, and his right. storytelling is... ability is just out out of this world. Yeah, but every story, instead of being like I was discriminated against, but I fought through, it's like, right. nope, green light. <laughs> and I like it's that. Just fantastic. Yeah. And after every chapter, after every theme, he would have like a, he used to call them bumper stickers. Right. Of like little one liners that would just describe something. Right. He'd be like, "Life's a highway, and I'm in the passing lane." <laughs> green light <laughs> i just like made that up but like he would right. always have little things like that and he's very poetic right he's very analytical and, and religious and spiritual and he like he would have these like really weird wet dreams that would tell him to go to the amazon and then he would to the amazon for a month what, and he would wait f- wait hang on why did you call it a wet dream because he because of what a wet dream is but it was just, yeah, yeah, no, no, like no. no one was involved. Not, it was, it was just about going you. to the forest. And yeah, he's like, like, he'd wake up and be like, oh. No, no, no. If him floating down a river yeah. naked, and then at the climax of the dream, he would then climax. And then he would wake up in the middle of the night as a grown man, and then wake up in the middle of the night and be like, I have to find out where this is. And then he'd look at a map and end up being like, oh my God, this is where my dream was. And then he traveled there and floated down the river naked. Did that. <laughs> Okay. so like it, it's just an extraordinary it's a journey it's a journey it's an yeah. extraordinary life and he's just a beautiful storyteller yeah um go buy his book and i should hopefully make right. a commission off of it all right but don't all right. don't read it because you all i mean i guess you could read it no but it's better to hear it's him better read it, to hear him yeah. read it because he's yeah. just and he talks about getting that role yeah and how his father passed away like two weeks before he did it right and he didn't have any lines. don't ruin it for me oh uh, anyways it's just it's a real it's anyways uh, go listen to our podcast. It's $1.50 a month. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, that's Einstein's theory of relativity. <laughs> all right. E equals Matthew McConaughey. E equals Matthew McConaughey squared. All right, all right. All right, all right, all right. Um, you know what else you can do? Tell me. You can go and get Matthew McConaughey's book. Yeah. But instead of doing that, or in addition to even, yep. you could follow us. Yep. 
on Instagram and on Facebook. Absolutely. To keep up with all the news and everything that's exciting and that's happening right now. All of it. Also, if you have a topic that you would like us to explain to you, you can email us at info.splainin at gmail.com. We hope that you learned something this week. And if you didn't, there's always next week. Mm-hmm. All right, all right. <laughs> I just like that. <laughs> like that was people making fun of you. I mean, I know the rule of to. improv is never say no, but I mean, there must be exceptions, and that's one of them. Yeah. <laughs>